Hi, this is Jakub from the editing booth. Ahead of this episode, I thought I'd mention that we were supposed to have another guest with us on this recording. Um, our good buddy Jack really wanted to be with us to talk about Jaws sequels and Orca. However, he could not make it. And, you know, uh, I suppose you could call it force majeure because he was stuck in traffic for, I want to say, two and a half or three hours. So he was not available to join us on this recording and timings were such that we could not move move it to any other day. However, I did ask him to send in a few voice memos so that we could uh, splice them into the show while he was actually stuck in the car. However, he, he did end up sending me those after we wrapped. And on top of that, he ended up sending me, a, I want to say, a full-on sort of standalone podcast episode that you could probably just edit into his own thing. However, I decided... Um, that I would, I would include these uh, Jack's thoughts on these movies at the end of the episode. So after the ending credits, stick around and listen to what our good buddy Jack has to, th- has to say about Jaws 2, Jaws 3, Jaws the Revenge and Orca. And in the meantime, I hope you have fun listening to our uh, our conversation about these movies as well. Have fun. How is this allowed? <laughs> Go shark fishing and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 78 and my name is Jakob. My name is Randy. And today we're also joined by a shark expert, so to speak. So we have been blessed to be joined by one half of one of the coolest podcasts out there. That's just for a minute. So a warm welcome to MJ. How are you, MJ? Good, how are you guys? I'm doing well, doing well. Yeah, good. So, so as you may imagine, if MJ's in the house, uh, Sarah was supposed to be with us as well, but uh, she tapped out at the last second um, on account of not feeling the best. So um, our, our love goes out to Sarah. May, may she feel better. Uh, as, as you may imagine, we'll be talking sharks because we you know we're doing our animal attack summer four episode extravaganza we talked piranhas we talked crocs we talked um, snakes in the water <laughs> uh what a episode what an episode that was um still can't get over it we talked about an, an lake placid versus anaconda and i actually liked it anyway. yeah i love anaconda i think that movie's great <laughs> do you oh, oh yeah. goodness <laughs> god love you we had, what's, we had an episode where we needed you <laughs> oh yeah what, what's I mean, your what's your stance on john void <laughs> Uh, John Voight with Standing. I love that movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're polar opposites. <laughs> that was the bright point. Uh, he he goes for it. He definitely goes for it. That's for sure. He does yes. go for it. Yes, he, he does. does. He does. <laughs> uh, well, researching clips, I finally I think found out where he was supposed to be from. I think you said he's from Paraguay, but I couldn't make out because his accent was so thick, I couldn't possibly understand it. <laughs> Uh, yep. Roger Ebert famously gave that film yes. three and a half stars. I don't know if you guys talked about that, but yeah, I, I think that was did. mentioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we're not here to talk about snakes. We're to, we're here to talk about sharks. By the way, before we start, quick plug as well. 
uh, on our Patreon by the time this is out. The uh, this month's bonus tie-in is going to be out as well. So check out our episode on the original Godzilla that we will we will record uh, the day from the. I don't know. I always have problems with just positioning stuff in time. We will be recording this in the future, but it, it, I'm speaking from the future, so it's in the past. It, I don't know. Anyway, so it's on our Patreon. Three bucks a month is to, it, it opens access to all of our stuff. So patreon.com slash uncutgemspod is where you want to go to listen to all of the extra podcasts uh, we have in there, which in, uh, includes other bonus tie-ins, many retrospectives, and our David Lynch marathon, which uh, we have now passed the halfway mark on. So that's you know, so there's plenty of stuff to listen to for just $3. Anyway, today we're closing the books on the Animal Attack Summer by talking about not one not two not three but four films we haven't done this before yet so let's let's practice being brief because this this is this is a problem we've been having since the inception <laughs> of the show that these 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 conversations go for a long while um so we're talking about because we're this whole series we're paying homage to the legacy of jaws the perfect movie the best movie ever made as you know we have mj with us to testify to that effect um and then we're talking about movies that kind of sort of came out of the popularity of the the world's seminal blockbuster. Uh, and then you can't have this conversation without at least touching on the sequels to the actual franchise that this the the Jaws spawned. And the one of the I think the most immediate uh, sort of rip off venture that this film kind of also spawned, which is Orca, Jaws two, Jaws three, and Jaws colon the Revenge. So let's just start with Orca. She's losing so much blood. I know, I know. Shut up. So, directed by Michael Anderson, Orca stars Richard Harris, Charlotte Rampling, Will Sampson, and a few other people in a story about an Irish fisherman who catches exotic and large fish for sale, and one day, while hunting a great white shark, he accidentally catches and kills an orca. I can't do this with a straight face. <laughs> who, as it turns out, is pregnant. Her partner, the orca's partner, that, that is, seemingly swears revenge and begins stalking uh, stalking the Irish fisherman, whose name is Nolan, by the way, and then haunting his existence to provoke an inevitable confrontation. So the film was conceived in 1975 after um, Luciano Vincenzoni, who's um, produce, producer, he saw Jaws and he thought, this is going to be great, we need to make a movie like this. And then he convinced Dino De Laurentiis that this is a good idea, and Dino De Laurentiis told him to look for a more frightening animal than a, than a great white shark. Arguably a difficult task to accomplish, and then they figured out that orcas would be also a good animal uh, to tap into, because it's also an apex predator and you know has sharp teeth and it's a big whale. So, 
real orcas were used kind of during production as well in addition to mechanical and um sort and mechanical props so the real orcas were borrowed from six flags kingdom which is i think just the equivalent of of sea world i believe and then by the way some fake animals were so lifelike apparently that animal activists tried to block their block their transport below anyway Without further ado, because we have lots of stuff to talk about, I'll, I'll just say this. The film was a critical bomb and a box office, box office bomb. Like People really did not like it. Uh, called it a rehash of Jaws, a King Kong with a little bite. Some people even thought, and this is I think this is going to make an appearance because I have a note on this. Some people thought this is like a death wish with whales. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, so there's that. So let's just dig into this, shall we? So, MJ... How about we start with our esteemed guest, Andrew? Tell us all what do you think about the 1977 Orca? So I think I need to preface my reaction to I think all four of the films we're going to be talking about, and I think this is somewhat true of most Jaws super fans in that we love a trashy creature feature above all. <laughs> Don't so wait. I really enjoyed Orca. That does not mean it is a good film. It's awful. But I think when you have something that has perfected the formula the way Jaws has, the only place you can go is down. And so the lower we can go with that, the, quote, better an experience that we have. Because something that, like, tries to be, like, very seriously jaws which i think this does at least on some level but then on some level i think the vfx department and like maybe the second unit knew that they were not making jaws again uh it's just it's always interesting to watch a movie that's a train wreck but it's also interesting to watch a movie that's kind of tongue-in-cheek so like i started this year watching a film called ouija shark i can't recommend ouija shark to you uh but I had a blast watching it. And I think that's the sort of attitude you need to approach everything outside of Jaws with when it comes to like shark or like killer fish movies, because they got it right the first time. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's nigh impossible to hit the, the, those heights. I mean, you know, Jaws is one of those movies that everyone agrees is a great movie. Like, if someone says they don't like Jaws, you don't believe them. Like, you, you can't be you, friends with them. That's first and foremost. Yeah. Well, and also, like, anytime someone's like, oh, Jaws sucks, like, you don't actually believe that. Like, you just, you like being contrarian and you're doing this for the attention. I just can't imagine people not liking that movie. It's almost, like, genetically engineered to, to please as many people as possible. And so when it comes to stuff like Orca... You want it to be a dumpster fire. Like you almost don't want it to be anything to be as good as Jaws because then it makes Jaws a little less special, I I guess. And so Orca's a mess and it's boring in a lot of parts, but it really delivers with the creature and just like there's there's some crazy things that happen in this movie that I really enjoyed. (laughs) Uh, By the way, that was the first time you saw it, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. What a great opening impression. Like, I think, uh, what's his face? Michael Anderson could not wish for a better review of this film. <laughs> okay. 
I think I think we're gonna bring the bring the house down now. I think Randy, tell us. What you okay. Think <laughs> so I love Jaws. I'll just I'll just come right in and say that. But I I am not nearly in the same category as you guys. I love your guys' enthusiasm, and maybe with a few hundred more watches, I can approach your guys' level of of joy. Um, so I'm not quite up there with you two. I just I, I know it. However, um, for my first impression, I, I do want to just set the record straight. This is set in Newfoundland, and there's uh, that's not too terribly far away from me. I live in Atlantic Canada, so they're sort of a neighboring province, even, even though I've only been there for 12 hours. It was a very special 12 hours to me, and the people of Newfoundland are not as depicted here. They're sort of a rough bunch here, and they're trying to muscle out visitors. I was in <laughs> Newfoundland on a layover from Toronto to Dublin, and I lost my passport, and I felt half the city was out there looking for me uh, and they helped me find my passport. So Newfies, as they like to call themselves, are wonderful people. And I just wanted to throw that comment out. Um, this is a Jaws ripoff, probably the first one. I think there were a couple smaller ones, but it was the first one probably on anyone's radar. I do love the sense of one-upmanship that is attempted in, in this. You know, like, and I think you mentioned it, Jakob, there is this, just from De Laurentiis. He says, what's bigger than a shark? Well, and they go out and look <laughs> and they found an orca. So I think that's great. Um, the The script has an overall structure, which I like. I think that we'll, we'll when we talk about the other films, uh, we'll get into different kinds of messes. Uh, this film does have a structure like that. It does care a little bit about the main character. You've got an attempt to create Harris into some sort of Captain Ahab type of uh, character. He's got an arc at least. Uh, Rampling is good for exposition. You know, she's great in here. Uh, and what is amusing to me is the killer whale business is treated with his own character arc. Uh, like you, you said, I, I read that uh, myself that the Washington Post critic Gary Arnold, he said, this is De Laurentiis going out, remaking his own death wish, set in Newfoundland, starring the killer whale as Bronson. And that's about right. Like I totally get Max Katie vibes off of this orca. It's like the orca is out in the bay saying, I'll make you learn about loss. And that's just <laughs> fantastic to me. Like, it's just, it's just great. The just film picture that whale smoking a cigar and laughing in a theater. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> can't just, you can see it now, right? It's there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this film mostly works for me almost on a straight up level. It does have, some it has some issues as you mentioned mj with with boredom it gets really slow once they leave the fishing community it's got major you know pacing issues in the last half hour like this is a film that feels like it's two hours but it's only 90 minutes yeah shouldn't really feel that way um so there's some issues in there we'll talk about them but i will leave it at that <laughs> tell me <laughs> I just want to say, like, the Max Cady reference just gives me goosebumps. And then yeah. what, the note I have on this is, um, where's my, where are my notes for this? It's like watching a revenge movie from the perspective of the villain and John Wick from perspective of Peter Stormare. <laughs> yes. I made, I made a John Wick note on this, too. Yeah, one of my notes is, is I called it Whale Wick. Yeah. I'm just thinking, <laughs> I see... This sort of confrontation, <laughs> confrontation of the orca, the uh, the end, and I'm I'm seeing Keanu Reeves going just, you know, people are asking me if I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Jesus. 
<laughs> this is great. This is great. And by the way, for the record, I just quickly googled the. I think the first shark sort of ripoff was Mako the Jaws of the Jaws of Death, nineteen seventy six. Mm. I think that's the one. Okay. Um, I don't think it's any good, but but still. Yeah. I have just, not seen this, but I now want to see it because I'm kind of in the same camp as MJ in that I like w these animal creature feature attack movies. I have a soft spot for them just by virtue of having been, you know, just conditioned to adult life with Steven Spielberg's <laughs> jaws. It's just there is something about this <laughs> that, that I, I can just, you know, like, I'm, I, I, I trashed Piranha last week. You know, I'm 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 willing to watch it again at some point in my life. <laughs> That's why I, I I'm refusing to let go of the Blu-ray. <laughs> um, but I'll say this: Orca, I've I've seen before. I've seen it long, long, long ago. Probably at the same time when um, I was introduced to the fourth Jaws film by my cousin at the time when I was just when I was just surprised. Like, There's a fourth one. <laughs> Let's put it on quickly, right? Uh, and then it was just like, uh, and he was then. I think I, I may be making stuff up in here, but I just this in my head this kind of plays. I was just like, don't you worry, I've got another one. And they, it was like taped off of TV. It's just it's about an orca, and it's just we watched it in in awe. It was just it was it was just great because there's there's these animals in the water and people are dying. And what else do you want out of cinema, right? However. This film is really bad, like really, really bad. So as like this, like I'm, I feel like this is an echo chamber in here a little bit because I can't recommend it to anyone in good conscience. I can't just go to one, go up to my colleagues at work and say, you know what, you should probably watch this weekend, Orca the Killer Whale from 1977. It, it's gonna be a blast. You're gonna love this. Like this is, you know, you recommend it to people you know that they would enjoy this because. <sighs> And it, it it is definitely trashy, and it's trashy in a way that I really enjoy. In in that, I love when films are not trying to be tongue in cheek about being trashy. I love it when they're trying to be serious, uh, and then it just trashiness just comes out naturally. I feel like that's this is one of them. Like it looks like Richard Harris is really trying to kind of just be this brooding yeah. sort of ersatz quint. Uh, Charlotte Lamp, Rampling, wh wh whoever, whatever, whatever her role in in the in the film ends up being, because I'm not sure she does anything. She's really no. seriously trying to do something. She um, reads the encyclopedia pages to us. Basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, it's, it's structured like it's structured kind of like Moby Dick, which is weird. Is. And yeah. so she's sort of the like Ishmael character, and it. When she starts to get kind of philosophical in the third act, I was like, what are we doing, guys? <laughs> like, ripping off Jaws wasn't enough. We had to go all the way to Moby Dick, too. Oh, it, it goes into, like, it, but like, this is something I never remembered. And this is something that actually fascinates me now. That the main sort of, not even the drive, but the main sort of thrust of the story is in the sort of the two from half to two thirds of the film, this is where this film kind of tries to kind of come into its own and separate itself from the legacy of Jaws in that the orca is now becoming a terrorist threat. And then it's just stalking a guy and then destroying a town while being in the water at the same time. It's amazing. And, you know, taking people's legs off without leaving the sea. It's just amazing. Uh, so, I thoroughly enjoyed this watch, even though 
I almost ha fell asleep in so in 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 one scene, like some some somewhere towards the the half of the film. The, the film kind of loses momentum for a second. Um, I think it's, I'm not sure if it has to do with like, Will Sampson is just. I think that's Will Sampson, the uh, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. chief from uh, yeah. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Nice. Yeah, yeah um, that's him. A great presence. I really love this mm -hmm. guy, but has, he has absolutely jack shit to do. <laughs> this film. Yeah. Uh, but overall, it, yeah, it's a pile of trash that I can only recommend to absolute to people I, I trust that they wouldn't re you know ab abuse this this <laughs> the, the trust I, I you know I, I I give to them anyway. So what I let's let's just dig into this. Is there any is there a cult allure in here? Is there some is there something that people were missing at the time? Because I'm not sure if the film kind of cultivated any some sort any sort of following over the years. It's pretty much disappeared into this sort of you know bottom shelf of VHS rental stores, and I'm not sure it has gained any sort of appreciation over time. And the question is whether it should or not. What 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 do you guys think? If there is a redeeming sort of quality about this, especially specifically objectively, because I'm extremely subjective when it comes to this, um, is, there, is there is there a redeeming quality to it? You know, like like you said, I think everyone tried, uh, particularly in front of the camera, despite having nothing to do for the entire ninety minutes. Um, I think it has gotten a bit of a cult following amongst diehard Jaws fans who really sort of want to see everything that was a Jaws ripoff. Um, mm -hmm. It pops up every now and again on these like forgotten, not forgotten gems, but like forgotten movies that are like maybe kind of on the trashier side. I think the value in it lies in um, that I had to really look up, like you were talking about that it, it, it's such an organic type of trashy where it's not trashy on purpose, but it's very like, it's kind of like a sleazy movie in a lot of parts, which I really appreciated. Um, but it has, I had to look up whether it was an American international pictures movie because mm -hmm. of that. It felt like one of those Roger Corman and it kind of succeeds at, at being one of those like AIP Roger Corman -y types of genre ripoff mm -hmm. exploitation movies better than it does being like just a straight up jaws ripoff mm -hmm. so i think if you're interested in that whole world of like the biker gang movies or the beach party movies or whatever that corman was doing in the 50s and 60s this i think slots in right along with those yeah i i so i sort of like this right i think there's a place for this especially within uh niche groups like mj was saying let it go come up in animal attack circles i'm not aware of a big following for this but you know having just watched and talked about the two original piranhas like it sort of strikes me as odd that the piranhas are better remembered than than orca like there's some there's some good effects in here like the the killer whale effects are are pretty good and not that they're seamless but the editing going between footage of the uh, animals in captivity to how you know how they are in the wild and using them in uh, you know attack scenes where they're attacking where the whales attacking harbor uh, there's a fluidity to the filmmaking here and a certain quality um, I think it's got that Corman type of attitude but you know I, I think that it's a, a really relatively polished effort like in in some ways, I, I feel that this looks better than some of the sharks that we'll see in the the Jaws sequels. Like, this is a yeah, good looking orca. 
<laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> calm down, Randy. Calm down. <laughs> but yeah, like this is a good. This is good looking. Uh, you know, effects for the era and for you know the the scope of the the production. Like, is it very small budget too? I think isn't it like less than ten million? So I think so. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to check, but but. You know they get a lot of bang for their buck I'll, I'll put it that way and you know they have a bit of a script that they're trusting and everyone's treating it seriously like it's silly but yeah it sort of works for me it's fun. yeah i mean i mean it's it's one of those things too where it's like you you have to credit the aip kind of model for shaping the genre and especially like even jaws leans into the Roger Cormany aspects of it sometimes like that scene the 4th of July scene where he has people staring straight into the camera and like yelling oh my god it's a shark is straight out of that like sleazeball type of filmmaking that Roger Corman was doing I think you could even argue that he was the kind of missing piece for the sort of like methody brandoy actor studio type guys and like Nicholson right Nicholson's a big proponent of you know Corman working in the IP Corman right yeah, he worked for Corman and he like he says he's from the Roger Corman school of acting, right? And I think if you even go watch something like Five Easy Pieces, which is, you know, his big arrival, it feels like it could be a Corman movie too. There's a there's a a, a reverence and sincerity with those movies, like even though a lot of them are kind of sleazy and trashy, that bled over into a lot of the more darker human dramas of the 1970s and I think you can see it even in in Orca and like, I mean, uh, is Michael Anderson? Is, yeah, he made mm-hmm. Logan's Run, which is you know oh, a cult right. hit. You know, like mm-hmm. this is the guy who knows what he's doing. The music's by Ennio Morricone. Like this is yes, and the music's really good, by the way. Really <laughs> good, and I think we're going to talk about that across all four of these movies because I think all four of them have pretty good, pretty good scores. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but it's very interesting that you, that you mentioned Roger Cohen. And by the way, on the five easy pieces, now now it just clicks for me as well. When you think of like the King of Marvin Gardens as well, um, the, the, the the Roger Corman Nicholson connection now crystallizes in my head. In that Nicholson can like turn. It's gonna. It's a weird turn of phrase, but turn himself on. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Um, like he he will be just a normal guy, and then he will just. You know, like Stanley Kubrick on the set of The Shining, he's gonna yell action, and he's just going to go like, "Honey, light of my life!" You know, like he's he's going to just go completely nuts. And then this kind of just, as you said, even in original Jaws, you kind of see these moments where people are just hysterical for no apparent reason, or these moments of they're just in the background, like kids are karateing the picket fences. Yeah, twenty four hours is like three weeks. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, but. But equally, in here, in, in general, I think this, the high, the, the the legacy of Jaws ripoffs, I think Roger Corman or Roger Corman adjacent filmmakers have quite a lot to do with, right? And then, I'm not sure if Dino De Laurentiis is part of it organically. I think he's part of the same movement because he's the same. He he well, I feel that Roger Corman's style of filmmaking that kind of was sort of the, well the 70s and 80s sort of era, era of this owes quite a lot to the sort of the B level Jallo films. Oh, mm-hmm. in a way, the sort yeah. of tr- the trashy but, Italian thrillers, <laughs> which Dino De Laurentiis was just producing. <laughs> he also did the cinema cinematographica thing that like he started in the, in the neo realist. Mm-hmm. Right. So it says that yeah. he, he produced like, um, 
La Strada and Knights of Kiberia and stuff like yep. that. So. Yes. I mean, yeah, but but then he was also kind of just for some reason he was also just in involved in these like what are they called like mafioso and all all these sort of like he, oh yeah he like he produced produced like Sergio Corbucci films for instance right as yeah. well so trashy westerns and trashy thrillers like it's I don't know it all starts making sense like everything in here is kind of connected at the hip almost like there's jaws connected to carmen carmen's connected to the italians and italians are producing this but but so by proxy it's a carmen production in a way so it kind of all feels like you you're watching these films from completely different families they all feel alike and there's i don't know there's a lure for for me at least that there's there, there should be a cult following just for the entire genre i think there is right yeah yeah i think it's all born out of post-war right like it's all mm -hmm. like you see you see carmen and you know de Laurentiis and the that movement all born out of post-war and obviously like America is hitting a time of prosperity after the war because mm -hmm. um, we've won. Um, and then Italian, you know, Italy is really like dealing with the legacy of like one, they were participants, <laughs> like active, you know, they were, they were not the good guys and they were, you know, battlefronts for a lot of it too. So they're having to rebuild socially and like economically from this mm -hmm. and, you kind of see how they took two parallel paths to I kind of converge in the in into the seventies. Yeah. When did De Laurentiis move his operations largely to America? Oh, I'm not is, sure actually. Because I find he was just always a guy that was sort of at the forefront of whatever was popular at the time. So, you know, yeah. like, like he had his thumbs in a lot of pies. He just one one of those. He was one of those players. Yes. Oh, seventy six. He he yeah. did something with Bergman with Altman. Hmm. But then again, I'm not sure as well because like people like Altman or Fleischer, they were also just being uh, sort of dragged into Italy to make spaghetti westerns. Yeah. <laughs> like Mandingo, yeah. for instance, right? <laughs> right, but also like he because he he. He came over to the U.S. in 76, but he mm -hmm. started doing the, um, he did Serpico in 73 and mm -hmm. Death Wish in 74. So he was doing American productions before yes. he came over. Yes, yeah, so I feel there's, yeah, there's quite a lot of overlap between, so I'm not, I'm, yeah. So even like 67, he was still doing like Visconti films, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it, it's, it's almost hard to, hard to pinpoint which makes it even even better i think because even like when you when you think about say like roger corman or italian productions there's uh, to me there's the, there's a trashiness that underpins the operation so when i think about roger corman i think about something like battle beyond the stars where you know that the sets are made of cardboard there's styrofoam protruding everywhere uh you know, they just spray painted someone's bikini and that's a Valkyrie costume. Like it all feels cheap and a little bit sort of on the, ru on the rush. Like it's all yeah. go, go, go. We don't have money. Like we only have this much, this, this much time. Right. But this film, even though it, it is trash, it feels like they're actually taking time to do this, even though I think it took an exquisitely short amount of time. They, they filmed it over like one summer. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but perfect. it feels like the, there is attention to certain sequences, at least at least on the water, there is attention to detail in here, especially towards the end. Yeah, towards the end is re where it really kind of gets, uh, it, like the budget starts to show a little bit more, um, mm -hmm. like whatever, whatever they get into. 
yeah the frozen ship and like doing stuff on icebergs and um Mm -hmm. you know just having a lot of whale footage and you know shout out ron taylor got the great white footage at the beginning who Mm -hmm. he shot the great white footage in jaws Jaws, Jaws. um we talked about ron and valerie taylor on one episode of of oh the episode of jaws for a minute where the um where they have the real shark footage but the um with a cage the cage, yeah. Yes. The, the the shark rips the cage off the orca, or yeah, off the orca. <laughs> I was like, is that the name of the the, the boat? The I name of the boat in here is the Bumpo, the which Bumpo. is a yeah. downgrade. I mean, and uh, speaking of the orca versus shark business, the whole the film starts with the sort of they have the sort of the great white mm-hmm. being hunted down by Richard Harris. And by the way, we have to say a few words about Richard Harris as a as the bargain basement quint, right? Yeah. But um, <laughs> But there's this scene where I think Dino De Laurentiis and Anderson and all these and Vincenzo they're trying to make a statement where the orca T-bones a shark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is this a statement or what? Oh, it's I. Oh, love, I think so. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I scary. loved that so much. It was such a. I loved that it had like the the confidence to give such a distinct like. No bones about it, middle finger to Jaws. We're going to get to another statement in Jaws too, as well. But yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a total one-upmanship move. I, yeah, I love that. I think it's a uh, yeah, ballsy and energetic, and yeah, it just speaks to like, the vein that they were on, what they were uh, getting started. I think this is yeah, great move. Mm-hmm. And in in that in that very scene as well, you ha- you kind of meet Richard Harris in there as well. And then I feel like this is my sort of Im- impression of him is like first of all, I I tweeted no one no one no one no one cared about it but you know what he looked like to me Mike Rylance in Red- Ready Player One, just <laughs> <laughs> just saying he, he looked like he, he he just you know Mike Rylance is in Ready Player One is either an homage to Richard Harris in Orca or he's an, a bona fide genuine time traveler just gonna come out and say it but I, I just wanted to kind of just quickly just gauge gauge your um opinions on richard harris as the sort of the captain ahab slash quint mm-hmm. stand-in what would you guys think i like richard harris i think that he's got a lot of charisma but this is it, it overall like the the whole character is sort of you know silly but i i I do get into it. I do love the scene where he's on the pier and he's looking out and you've got eye contact between the uh, the whale and uh, Richard Harris. And it's like this weird, awkward stare down. I think that's just I think that's just fantastic. Made me laugh every time it happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Like it's it's serious character development for the orca. Like it's silly <laughs> as hell. <laughs> but, but Harris similarly, like I think, yeah, I think he's great. Like he's he's got uh, charisma here and. Yeah, I, I I like the guy. I don't think I've seen too many of his films, to be honest. Well, it wasn't it partly because he was he he was very fond of alcohol, so I'm not. Sure. Well, and he struggled with alcohol at times during this production, from what I understand too, yeah. because um, I think that I think rumors have circulated that his wife was yeah his wife was sleeping around or or something. Yeah. So yeah, he had some bad moments on set. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of find it when Richard Harris's allure kind of just disappears immediately when he opens his mouth. 
because for some reason I kind of prefer when he's just being the sort of silent brooding character and when he opens his mouth he just sounds like Conor McGregor just oh what's the morning to it and it's just it's just I don't know it doesn't match the face I know he's in he's he's he is he still alive I'm not sure he is no he he no, passed, he away, passed away, after, away after the second 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 Harry, Harry Potter. Potter yeah, yeah. I know he was, for lack of a better word, super Irish, as in he was a very sort of strong sort of uh, proponent of the United Ireland, and he was a very staunch supporter of provisional IRA, which, I don't know, in some circles kind of will get you in trouble. Um, but, oh, oh, yeah, so I've, I've never really kind of just interacted with him as an actor, apart from this film, which I saw like many, many, many years ago, and now a few days ago. But yeah, he's an interesting character. I kind of more gravitated to like Charlotte Lampling because Charlotte Lampling from the seventies. By the way, she's a fox. Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And even though she has zero things to do in this film, she somehow I don't know just I, I don't know she she hugs the screen for me. I, she she's just she's just something else. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, I think most people, roughly around our age, are more familiar with Harris and his older age, like as Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. And then I remember him a lot from, he's in that remake of the Count of Monte Cristo with uh, Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce. He's he's Caviezel's mentor in that movie. That was the first thing I remember seeing him in. And then he was in a movie my dad liked a lot that I only saw bits and pieces of. Um, That was sort of, it was sort of a dances with wolves type deal called like a man called horse. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. And he was an he was Unforgiven. Unforgiven, well. too. Right? Oh, That's sort of me. where I saw him first. Yeah. yeah. I know where I remember him from. Marcus Aurelius in Gladiator. That's... Oh, yeah, he is. Ah. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. He is, yeah, yeah. I thought, did he die during Gladiator then? Because didn't they have oh, to spend... Oh, um, That's Peter O'Toole, isn't it? No, 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 no. Hold on. Uh, who died on the Gladiator? Oh, what's his name? Because they had to replace it with CGI. Not, was the it guy... Jacobi? Was, uh, Oliver Reed. Uh, Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed. Yeah. Oliver okay. Reed died on the set of, of, of Gladiator. Got good it. film. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought he was good in this. I appreciated that he didn't go full Quint, even though you could tell the script really wanted him to. Like, he plays it closer to Ahab than Shaw mm-hmm. plays. Mm-hmm. Quint and I, I like that there's a little more character depth to him um, just because we spend the whole movie with him mainly um, mm-hmm. but it definitely also feels like a one-upmanship move of like oh Quint was the most you know the fan favorite character of that we got to have a Quint like character the entire time in our movie and so I think if you have you know what Shaw's doing in Jaws for two hours it's gonna get exhausting and Harris was smart enough to understand, like, hey, the kind of Robert Shaw spice that you would add to a movie does not work for the entire time. And so he was able to dial it back a little bit and kind of give the character a lot more um, nuance than someone like Quint, who's there to kind of really provide a lot of the background for the second half of mm-hmm. Jaws. He reminded me of his son a lot, Jared Harris, just mm-hmm. in appearance and, and acting. I, I felt that vibe pretty strongly, too. 
I mean, for, for me, I mean, this is like what you, what you just mentioned, MJ, as well. That's sort of the the difference between okay, if if you had Quint being on being Quint for ninety minutes straight, this would be kind of a bit tiring, you know, with the sort of munching on crackers and then just his sea shanties. Eventually, just would probably go stale. Mm-hmm. I actually find this idea just I think it's a narrative idea of this film actually being a little bit of like a loose remake of or loose adaptation of crime and punishment almost okay. <laughs> this is this idea that he has to wrestle with the, this horrible act that he's committed almost accidentally because like in the very beginning you have this horrible scene with an orca miscarrying and then they just hose off the fetus <laughs> <laughs> and then you have this sort of confrontation with this sort of it feels like a hong kong film of the close-up on people's eyes how they just lock like you just i'm not gonna forget this this is you know revenge is gonna happen one day i'm I'm gonna get you for this and there's this beautiful shot from the point of view of the orca where you see um, up on to the deck of uh the ship whose name now escapes me the bumpo bumpo (laughs) that's the one (laughs) and you know it's all kind of just blurry because there's water everywhere and just richard harris stands there like captain ahab almost it's just but he's He's most effective to me when it, where he's silent. When say when when he's ostracized by the so, like the 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 new free society, uh, or and where he's trying to kind of wrestle with the idea of I'm not going to get back in, into the water because this this mammal is going to kill me. Almost said fish. Um, I don't. For me, this is where this film actually like sets itself apart. It's almost like it doesn't in um, on purpose. It doesn't really want to follow a formula that Jaws may have actually left behind, and I think we'll get to the formula in a second. But yeah, that's where it kind of shines for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it also kind of leans into a sort of rhyme of the ancient mariner thing, right? Like he violates the laws of the sea and then gets punished mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, and I, I like it's it's interesting to me that you know we've said it a couple times. Like the orca has its own character, and he turns into the the whale turns into sort of this vicious creature for a reason. And Charlotte Rampling is saying, well, you know, these are such sophisticated animals. Who knows what goes on in their mind? And there's a deep-rooted psychology in there. Then, you know, you shouldn't necessarily give, you know, a crazy person everything they want. So maybe we should treat this uh, whale that way. So the, the whale is getting this treatment. But similarly, I, I like that Harris is on this own path where he's feeling guilt and remorse for what he's done until that sort of runs up to the the final uh, confrontation. So yeah, that's a good point that this is not on the same track as what the jaws, uh, the, the jaws ripoffs are going to turn into. It's, it's its own thing. And this is yes, a jaws ripoff, but it was sort of uncharted, uncharted territory. I think at the time, like it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, waters that no one really knew how to navigate. Hmm. There's a lot of money in animal attacks by the Z. Yeah. So what do we do with storytelling in there? And one thing that they do seem to appreciate in Jaws is that, you know, there's some strong character work in there. So, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time, at least in the script, you know, imagining this and seeing these characters through, you know, it comes out a little silly, but, you know, they're they stick to it and they're they're giving mm-hmm. it a good old a good old college try. So I, I admire that quite a bit about Orca, to be honest. Now one one thing where this where Orca actually differentiates itself is actually comes back to the sort of Dino De Laurentiis sort of sending Vincent Zoni on this on this quest to find a more fearsome animal, right? Is 
they really make an effort to kind of make sure that okay well this to to beat you over the head almost with a lecture on, on how an intelligent orcas are how big how how massive their brains are how they don't forget how they communicate using sounds that kind of just well can carry so much information in one um uh, in, in one sort of set of frequencies that, you know, like if, if they don't necessarily even need to communicate because they know what you feel by just, I don't know. So here's a question. Is an orca actually a, a better villain than a shark? Um, no, I, I, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> Go ahead, MJ. I think, I also think no, um, because you can paint, a shark is a blank canvas. Mm-hmm you can kind of paint whatever you want onto a shark and have it stand in for whatever it needs to. With an orca, one, the public perception of them is Shamu, right? Um, Though I think that's changing thanks to things like Blackfish, which one of the things she says is like, in captivity, these these whales can be like a humankind's best friend. And then less than a year after this movie comes out, the Orky 2 Mm -hmm. attack happens in in marine land. uh, but in, I mean, oftentimes in the ocean, the orcas are probably going to leave you alone for the most part. I think. Um, also, you're probably going to come across them way less than mm-hmm. you are a great white. Like a great white yeah. can come on to like pretty close to shore and and do stuff. And so I think that taps into the sort of primal lizard brain fear way mm-hmm. more than an orca does. Like you have to be pretty far out to get an orca, or the orca has to be in pretty bad shape to be that close to the to the shore um so i think sort of the 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 intelligence almost makes them closer to uh to like a dog to us Mm -hmm. right we're like and there are like cujo and stuff like that but i think they we see them more friendly than we do sharks like sharks just look menacing they have you know to borrow a phrase like Dole's eyes. Yeah, Orcas have much better PR. Yeah, much better, yeah, much exactly. better publicists over the years for sure. Exactly. So if if we if in a universe where SeaWorld doesn't exist, would orcas actually have a similar standing as sharks? As in, like this is an animal you'd probably want to stay away from. Is this just uh, because we've been conditioned to think, oh look at them, they they're make they're doing tricks in a in a swimming pool, and then you know they're. I, I don't think so, honestly. I think that. Orcas have a reputation of leaving humans alone because humans are just aren't in uh, aren't in an orca's diet. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll eat seals, and from what I was reading, they really have only ever you know eaten a human when there was reason to believe that they confuse the the orca, the killer whales, uh, confused the human with like a, a seal or a sea lion or, or something. So, well, apart from uh, the sort of Sea World accidents, where uh, what's his what's his name? Tilicum, or as I like to call it, till I come. But uh, yeah, I think that's an isolated uh, incident as well. Just in terms of it, it specifically happens with captivity. But removing what we know about you know animals in captivity and those types of scenarios, I I think orcas really just don't care too much about humans. And whereas sharks you may still run into that. Like, I think there was a shark attack not that long ago in Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, a guy guy died. Yeah, recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was was an attack in California um, on Christmas Eve. Uh, 
yeah, it was a great white dude was boogie boarding and they found his body and they were able to do some Matt Hooper stuff and like bite radius and all that. They found it was a, it was a great white off the coast of California and the central coast of California actually has a lot of great whites. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, there's a beach, Avila beach. If you're ever in California, wanted to maybe see a great white hit up Avila. It's also the reason I don't go into, into the ocean in Avila. <laughs> wow. It also happens that, you know, great whites, for some reason, they like the areas where surfers kind of just come around and, and you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and mess about for some it's like prime feeding material. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of do agree. I mean, there is there is one thing that kind of just for me distinguishes the two and makes one more fearsome than the other is the idea that a shark doesn't look doesn't look real or doesn't look alive. Mm-hmm. It's like what Hooper says, it's an eating machine, you know. And then you know it has the doll's eyes and you know the dead eyes and whatever. And this this thing actually does look like a puppy, right? Like it, it kind of looks like it. You know, oh, you could you could you could play around. Yeah. But it, again, it's like a gray wolf. Like you come around, you come you you come close to it and it doesn't like you. It's gonna bite your hand off. But you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Speaking of or- orcas and sharks, I may as well just quickly transition to Jaws too, and then just move the conversation along. I- I'm sure I'm sure we're gonna come back to some certain scenes from Orca when we do our top fives and bo- top fives and bottom fives because I failed to mention at the-, at the top of the episode that you know because we have a different format for this episode with four films, the top three and bottom three is gonna become a top five and bottom five for all films involved, and it's gonna kind of come at the end. But I think it's a- unless you guys have something to get off your chest about Orca. Um, uh, it has the best end- ending ever. Um, <laughs> I wanted to mention the ending too because I, I love into this. <laughs> I, but is I, it I a do... carbon copy of 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 sort of the quint ending or or an improvement upon it? My comments lie around how do they end up in the fortress of solitude? Because <laughs> the effects largely look pretty good all the way through, and they look realistic looking orcas, but then they they can't make ice look realistic. So that that's a bit of a uh, a letdown at the end, just where they end up is re- sort of ridiculous. Yeah, it just, um, <clears throat> I don't think it's better than the Quint death, but it is so funny and I don't yeah. think it's supposed to be. <laughs> um, but it is so funny watching him get yeeted by that tail onto the onto the iceberg and then just slide into the water. Yeah, <laughs> like that's a great moment. This is, film, <laughs> this is Wild E. Coyote level of ending. Like it's... Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to put it like that. But on the Fortress of Solitude, I think this may not be coincidental. I mean, that, you know, was it 1978 that Superman came out? May have used some of the sets. I don't know. I don't want to infer. <laughs> Where was Superman shot? This was shot in, in Malta, I think. <laughs> well, th- these sets, I think, were shot in Malta. All right. Okay. Which uh, is weird to me that they moved shops so far away, but. Yeah, it's like across the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, we're gonna get to crossing the ocean in in manner of minutes as well when we talk to when we talk about Jaws four and what can only be three and a half hours from now. <laughs> so let's just quickly move on to, uh, I think move by a year. So let's move into nineteen seventy eight and talk about Jaws two. How about that? Uh, Pinewood is where they shot Superman. Pinewood. Okay. okay. Well, now, now that you mentioned, it's not really surprised. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it shot all over the place. It shot in New York. It shot in Alberta. There you go. Uh, 
Okay, okay. Anyway, let's let's talk just too. Well, speak of the devil. Martin, this is kind of an official meeting. Good, good. I'm glad you're all here. I've got something to show you. Look at this. Fogarty just developed it. Came out of that camera from the missing divers. Seaweed? I don't know. What is it? It's underwater, isn't it? That's why it's so dark. There's nothing I can see. What are you talking about? Look at this. That's a shark. Look at the outline. Look at the mouth, the eyes. Is that what it is? Sorry, I just don't see it. Neither do I. It's nothing. Martin, it could be anything. Wait a minute. Are you people telling me I don't know what a shark looks like? Brody, this is nothing. Seaweed, mud, something in the lens. Lens my ass. You're damn right it's your ass. Now, uh, be real. Oh, where's my... So directed by... Oh, this is, this is going to be fun because I have no idea how to pronounce his name. And it's, it's very, it's Schwark, isn't it? It's um, very close to Shark. Oh, we just did this episode. It's Jean Schwark is, I yeah. think, is it, what we... Is it Schwark? Is I'm just, I'm yeah. just looking, is it Genot? <laughs> or... Oh, I, Je, yeah, Genot Schwark. Um, yeah, because it's very, it's very interesting because he's French, but right. his name is, is written the way you would um, polonize the German mm. word for black, which is Schwarz. Mm. So I would read it as Schwarz, but I'm not sure. Being, being we looked it up on a pronunciation website neither one of us had heard of before, heard it once, and said, good enough for us. So don't take my word as gospel. This, there's no, there's, I mean, I, I have your episodes stashed because I didn't want to prejudge this conversation by the sort of knowledge I've ingested from, from you right. talking about just two and three. And I think four is going to come out soon. Um, but anyway, uh, three three is next week, and then four two weeks. Yeah, later. there you go. So I'm just thinking to myself, with uh, this is not a dig against Americans, but there's like there is there is the idea of like okay, well, there will be people coming from all over the world, uh, say with French names, with Italian names, with Polish names, Irish names, and they will eventually Americanize them. Mm -hmm. So I always try to default to trying to find a clip of the person themselves referring to themselves. It's like, hi, my name's Genoche Schwark. I mean, okay, then you're, you're a Schwark, okay? Yeah. <laughs> if, if he says it that way. Say, like, I don't know, for instance, you have, like, Andrea um, Reisbra, for instance. Like, you kind of have to just, okay, troll YouTube and find find how she refers to herself because yeah. you never know. And she's British, so it's it's not even an American thing. But I, I kind of this is. But I couldn't find a single clip where he would be referring to himself. I found one little <laughs> clip of him talking about Jaws too, and then he was a little bit pompous, I think, honestly. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. Might as well get to it. But anyway, so it was directed by. Let's just default to MJ. So Juno uh, Schwark. Yeah. Yep. So Jaws 2 brings Roy Schneider, Lorraine Gary, Murray Hamilton, a few other people, a few other sort of Jaws returnees back to Amity, where Chief Brody has to face off against another great white shark that made its way to the local waters to wreak havoc and cause carnage. And this time Brody's own sons kind of may, may, may end up in danger as they go boating in the open waters because what, can, what else can you do in Amity you know, than boating? It's like American graffiti and cars. Yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, so it was released in 1978. Briefly, it was the highest grossing sequel of all time until Rocky II came along in just a year later. Zanuck and Brown kind of wanted a sequel almost immediately in 1975 because I think for some reason they feared that someone would beat them to it. And I think they, they didn't quite at the, at the time. The sort of, it was a wild west of kind of trying to navigate franchise rights and stuff like this. I'm not sure they knew what's going on. Yeah. And, anyway, so Spielberg pulled out. He then And the, sort of the accounts are, differ. Because some people, he would tell that he believed sequels are cheap carny tricks. Some people he would tell that he had he wanted to nothing to do with the idea of, of, of coming back on the water because he was traumatized by, by the nightmare of actually trying to get the shark to work. So it, and, and then some people, would, he would be told that he, he was actually contracted to Columbia, which was true at the time, yeah. because he was making close encounters. And this is also one of the reasons why Richard Dreyfus didn't come up and come back. He was only again briefly mentioned on the telephone. Um, anyway, so different ideas were thrown around for the sequel. So Sons of Sons of Brody and Quint were supposed to be hunting a shark. That was one idea, and then another idea was a prequel about the USS Indianapolis. Uh, for those who don't know, if you don't know, like you should really just uh, shame that 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 hangs back to uh, the the, fam- the famous speech. Uh, Quint made in the original Jaws. Anyway, so Joe Alves wanted to direct, but he was denied the opportunity. But don't worry, he came back later. Um, he he was the uh, AD on the film, and um, and the film was an, I think the most expensive Universal picture of the uh, at the time. So it was thirty million bucks of you know nineteen seventy eight million dollars. I think let's just say nineteen seventy eight thirty million dollars. So it's quite a lot of money. Got mixed reviews, but made an absolute shit ton of money as well at the box office. And I think it was reappraised following the two sequels in perspective, but but we'll, we'll get to it anyway. So, what do you guys think about Jaws two? And then, yeah, MJ, take it away. Tell us what you think about Jaws two. Uh, I it's boring. I think um, I think it's fifty percent interesting, but I also feel like it's fifty percent one movie and fifty percent a different movie that is stitched together in the middle and. As such, neither one of them worked that great. Hmm. Interesting. What are the two movies? <laughs> um, so one is like a, 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 a human drama that it okay. deals with grief and post-traumatic stress disorder. And the other one is Friday the 13th. It's just a slasher movie. Fair enough. <laughs> Short and sweet, Randy. I'm sort of similar. I'm sort of similarly minded, except I quite like I quite like uh, Jaws too. I think it's successful in what it's trying to do. Uh, and you were alluding to it, Jacob, that this was sort of an unprecedented time because there just wasn't a sequel culture in Hollywood the way there is now. There wasn't uh, th- this idea of franchising. It just it looked totally different, and there weren't really any other sequels except uh, I think the Godfather French connection. And these were Oscar winners and these were prestige projects where uh, there, you know, was just more easily something else to say with these characters and, and these world, these worlds. Jaws was a flat out big time moneymaker to the, to the point that the book on how nationwide releases of films work before mm-hmm. Jaws, there were very few instances of, uh, films that hope to make a lot of money, good films, releasing nationwide. The Exorcist did it, but Jaws borrowed that model for release. If a film opened nationwide in the early mid-70s, it was because it was junk and it was looking to make a few bucks over the course of a couple weekends and then get out of Dodge. 
Um, it just wasn't the way things were done. So Jaws was rewriting the book in Hollywood from a business model standpoint. And I, I think when it comes to the sequel, and there's probably this rush to, you know, put something out uh, quickly, but it's it's interesting because Jaws is in a position to make a sequel because they, they want to make money, not necessarily because there's a natural sequel, you know, that's a natural part two to tell. And I think largely they do a good job. I feel what uh, MJ mentioned, I feel that it's, you know, a few different stories here. I love the fact that the community of Amity is still there and is a character and is growing and developing. I like that there's a lot of attention that's put into Brody because he has changed in the few years since the original and there's a there's a, an earnest effort to build his character and, and give Scheider some you know stuff to to really do um but you know it's got the the film sort of has identity problems again ultimately this i think is where it turns into um others have said sort of a slasher film and that's sort of correct i think like this is we just need to put a lot of people in peril and tell the story of uh, public danger versus public safety. And Jaws isn't strictly that. It is to a certain extent, but then there's sort of the the last act where it's its own, you know, separate ad adventure and, uh, you know, personal journey. Um, here, it's about people in danger and got to save them. And it's it's more, more of the animal attacks uh, model uh, for films that we see in the future. So I think it works. I think it's a little bit clumsy. It doesn't totally come together because it doesn't really bring Brody to a place where I'm satisfied, but it really tries hard to set something up in the first half, I feel. I do like putting all these teens at risk, although arguably there's <laughs> maybe too many of them to keep track of. Um, but Anyway, I like it and it's 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 flawed. It's got an identity crisis of sorts, but I, I think it's a pretty good effort, keeping in mind that it's an uncharted territory because it's still a moneymaker. Like that's its sole purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will say, I'll put it that way. This is a Joel sequel that I think I saw the least amount of times of. And then this would be one that I've, seen as the so i've seen I've, i probably had seen jaws 4 10 times before i saw jaws 2 i'll put really? it that way but I'm, i was 11 at the time so i didn't know any better but um so and then when i eventually saw it it's so it's one that i don't return to the most out of all the all the four films i mean nowadays i will return to them because i'll just i'll just have my annual Jaws rewatch or something like this and then I'll sometimes be like you know what I feel like I might as well just carry this along I, I do this with Alien as well I'll just watch Alien and I'll just follow through with all of them and then I'll just stop just before Alien Resurrection because I'm done at this time right but then <laughs> um, but with Jaws 2 I always had this sort of I feel like I had to wean myself onto it in, in a way like I feel that that's part of my relationship with Jaws 2 is that I appreciate that it's there but it's not fun I'll put it, and it comes to its own, I'd say, eventually towards the end. But when it comes to its own, it's just wow, five more minutes, and it's, and, and and we're done here. But um, I, I mean, the, I have problems with it. I think I might as well might as well just touch on this. Uh, but it, overall, I feel, I, I I don't feel particularly fond of it as a film. And I feel like MJ MJ has also touched on this quite well, as in as in there. Are, there is a disconnect between certain certain parts of the film, and I and I, and now it truly feels that way. That it's almost 
and I don't understand, never understood why. So here's a question. Does it, does, why, what, what's going on in here? I mean, I have my own thoughts, but I'd like to, I'd like to kind of just throw this to the panel first. Like what's going on in here? Why, why Jaws 2 doesn't hit the same way that Jaws would hit? I mean, apart from the obvious that you, you can't just, you can't improve on, on perfection, but, uh, especially that I have a feeling that it's trying to, for the most part, recreate a lot of the magic and try to and try to retread the waters. So why doesn't it stick this time? I think one of the things is Scheider himself. I think he's very good in 50% of this movie. And then he just leaves. Um, I think he is great until he gets fired. And then after that, for the rest of the movie, he's just kind of there getting tan and that's <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's it and i think because they tried to anchor the movie so much on him because he checks out halfway through in his performance there's nothing for the movie to kind of end on i think also it fails as the slasher movie because and i kind of have this reputation for sounding sort of like a psycho not enough of these teenagers die for it to make a satisfying slasher mm. movie because that's the deal you make with a slasher movie is like, there's a bunch of teenagers, there's a guy with a knife. Most of them should be dead by the end. But here, most of them survive. So there's not like the spectacle of the kill that would carry through a slasher movie. But there's also only 50% of it is dedicated to Brody and his character and, and that work there. And then Ellen and Sean and Michael aren't given enough to kind of hang the rest of the movie on. I mean, you could almost argue as well that you know, in terms of the violence of, on display, like f- first Jaws is not exactly violent. I mean, it has violent moments, but it has the um, the implication of violence. When Chrissy bites the dust, it's I want to say a good a good minute of screaming and shouting. In here, or like when when a guy loses a leg and the leg just casually just drops to the bottom of the ocean, it's these are memorable images. I don't recall any images out of this. There, there's an image of when Sean's on just tied to the to the boat almost, and this woman gets eaten by a shark. You can't see it because it's shot from behind. So the shark emerges and the woman disappears. That's it. It's all she wrote. It almost feels like they're trying to kind of just back off the violence for some reason, and I don't understand why because there is no such thing as PG-13 uh, film in. in at this time, I think it was 1984 when they invented it. So I'm not sure if there's a financial consideration in here. It just feels like they just lacked the, the proverbial balls to kind of just go out and then just show some people get slashed, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pre-Friday the 13th, so they don't know that there's a market for here, watch a bunch of teenagers get killed. But it's post-Bay of Blood. It's po- Is it post-Halloween? The same year. Same, yeah, same year. Same time. So, oh, but suppose Black Christmas, so that's 1974. So I suppose the slashes are already kind of known. Yeah, I mean, post-Psycho, right? Like, Yeah, when Psycho is not exactly violent either, right? Right. But the, you know, the formula is not there, right? So, and I think there's some giallos that might uh, form some ideas too. But still, ultimately at the time, at the end of the day, I think that um, it's it's not known like like you were saying mj what the slasher genre is going to be and what could work and the spectacle of the actual deaths um so for me i think what is lost a little bit is that what really works with with jaws the original turns into 
a hunt movie and a character piece for the final act. And to me, with a lot of the ripoffs, you don't have that understanding of what makes Jaws tight and well-rounded and perfect. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the ripoffs and I think those producers involved with the sequelitis here, they see, okay, we need people in peril. We need maybe the, uh, the Brody family. And they just see these elements, but nothing is packaged as well as it could be. Um, like, I like that this exists on Amity and you still have that, you know, sense of it, but the film just, it, it, it has these elements that are sort of the marketable elements, like, you know, people in the water and a fin not too far away and, you know, a, a death here and there and the music, but story-wise, plot-wise, theme-wise, character-wise, this, this is not tightly written at all. It's, yeah. It was written with these elements in mind, these, these tangible, marketable elements. So this, the storytelling uh, voice just isn't there because you know, Spielberg or another solid filmmaker or storyteller isn't, isn't on board. It almost feels like I mean this is an observation I had um, almost watching all rewatching all these sequels even though I had f more fun with the others is that I'm not sure that Jaws is a is a as a story is one that invites a franchise just in general I think mm. this is someone just it, it's it's almost it happened not by inertia but but by virtue of Zanuck and Brown seeing how much money they made and say we need to milk this cow pronto yes like this needs yes. to happen yeah. and without considering that there isn't much more story to tell so effectively i feel i, I may be wrong so I, ref, I defer to you guys i feel this movie is trying to kind of just retell jaws again because for some reason roy Scheider is afraid of water once more even though at the end of the film he says you know what i feel like i'm not afraid of water so what, what did he just forget <laughs> like did he just get over his you know the, or just forgot that he just ruined the sh a massive shark with his si smile your son of a bitch moment like no it just it feels like we're back to square one like mayor vaughn again like did you just forget that you nearly got like how many people you got killed by your stupid decision making and Brody was right the last time i mean yeah. i think how many years is it four years after three years yeah, i think so four can can people forget and so it almost feels a bit ridiculous and then i feel like they're trying to and, and i feel they're trying to recreate them there's a the beach scene with a school of bluefish right there's yeah. the, the there's the um um you know the the photographs are in an interesting touch but there's it looks like they're trying to see it's like art by committee. I'm okay. I'm, I'm I'm rambling. I'm sorry, but it's it's like art by committee in, in here where some people just go into a room. They looked at the script for Jaws, or just they watched it all by you know in a room together, and they say we need to figure out what makes Jaws Jaws. Okay, and then they sat down. Then they had a brainstorming session, and they just boiled it down to these sort of certain scenes that they need to ha have. Exactly. They, they have yeah. to have these beats, yeah. and I'm not sure this works. And I'm not sure they necessarily watch Jaws. I wonder if they just watch the press materials because that's what they're grabbing onto largely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's co-written by Carl Gottlieb and Carl Gottlieb, um, uh, he wanted to add some more stuff from the book. So like in the book, there's in the book Jaws, there's a this subplot with Larry getting paid off by the mafia and that's why he doesn't want 
to mm-hmm. earn the summer dollars. So they were going to add that into Jaws 2, which I think is a much better motivation for why Larry would not want to do anything the second time around. Like it gives him a reason instead of him just being like, I don't know, <laughs> we're not doing it, even though I know what happened last time. And like, it doesn't do a good enough job of showing him the way he was in Jaws as motivated by money, even though it's trying to tell us that he is, but it just rings hollow. Like you said, like it rings like, oh, he's doing this because he has to. And I think if you would have added that sort of mob subplot into it, which I think they hint at with Ellen's boss, like I think he was supposed to be kind of the the mob mm-hmm. guy from New York in mm-hmm. Amity, uh, that gives him more of a reason to act the way he does instead of just like, he didn't learn, no reason but, why. Like, but, like I've seen yeah. this film like 10 times at this point. And it never comes across like there's this guy for out of nowhere showing up, and then I've never connected with this. Is he a mob guy? Is what's going on in here? Like it's I think he was supposed un- to be. If you, I think if you know that he, they were going to do that aspect of it, you can see how he's sort of a remnant of that leftover. Mm-hmm. But they never hint at that at the. Yeah, he's just a guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. A- Feel, yeah. feels like a weird investment thing like the opening of what is it a, a holiday the, island holiday holiday inn or something so they're opening a new hotel they're mm-hmm. trying to get investments and they're giving people tours of the beach it's like the norwegians in twin peaks so why <laughs> why are they here i mean these guys aren't entertaining i mean there's yeah but again the whole film is kind of just i mean it, it will come back in other sequels where it kind of almost becomes a joke, but I, I I feel they're doing this sincerely as in, well, we need to have a scene where Brody pours himself uh, a drink and I think, they have, oh, you have the good stuff and just pours Jack Daniels and he just does exact same maneuver as he does with Hooper where he just pours himself a high tall glass of hard liquor, right? And and feels like it's something that I'm supposed to catch and say like, look, it, we're calling back to the original here or look we're calling back to this and feels I don't know if it feels insincere to me and this is where it kind of just like it feels like it's overtly pandering to me and and almost like just undermines the magic I don't know that, that, that that's just how I feel about this no I think you're I think you're right I think they do try to because Bro- Brody drinks a lot more in this movie I think they're trying to subtly hint that he's developed a drinking problem and like mm-hmm. Ellen tells him at breakfast one morning, like, that's your third cigarette this morning. And he's like, it's with my coffee. Like, he's like, he's leaning on substances harder than he ever has. But mm-hmm. it's so subtle, it might as well not be in the movie. Um, and so it sort of brushes. And that's why I say it's like two movies stitched together. Because it sort of wants to take him in that direction of like dealing with the trauma of what happened on the Orca. And there's that really stupid moment where he has the craziest lawn decoration i've ever seen which is one of the barrels from mm, the- oh yes <laughs> um, another piece of pandering to to me because yeah. the character of brody after this trauma wouldn't just you know what would look good in our garden honey <laughs> <laughs> that yellow barrel i stuck into the shark that killed my yeah. friend yeah <laughs> <Get that. laughs> yeah it's, it's i think as well <laughs> i think that shot alone is endemic of what is wrong with jaws 2 like it is spoilers for my list later um it's 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 on there but i really hate that like the first time i saw the movie and i've only seen the movie twice at this point for the first time this year um so both times i've watched it have been in 2022 and so uh yeah i was just like what what why why is he doing this and i just you can't help but think about how 
in the hands of a much better director, they'd be able to sell because it's not unusual to have trinkets that remind you of, you know, the passing of someone that mm-hmm. you were close to or that you admired or cared about. But the way they do it in this is just so like flippant and off the cuff and just out of nowhere. Like I think someone like Spielberg, who is known for his sincerity, would be able to sell that moment, even if, even if it was a planter, a lot easier than, you know, uh, Geno Swart does. Like, like I don't know at this point what makes it not work because there is a scene in Jaws 4. I'm, I'm going to pre... I'm going to just ruin maybe one of the items on my list where in the police station, they have a headshot of Roy Scheider just <laughs> going like this yeah. in massive A0 form. <laughs> but it feels, you know, it doesn't, it's not that it feels sincere. It feels ridiculous and it feels like, okay, that's like we're in Jaws 4 territory. This is amazing, right? <laughs> but in here, it kind of feels like it's annoying. Like these, mo- these motifs annoy me when, when you have these moments where, um, the attack, not the attack, the, uh, the panic at the beach scene is just, okay, I know what you're doing, Schwark, in here. Like, this is, is like, I feel like someone's trying to pander to me, and I'm aware of this, and by virtue of being aware of, of them pandering to me, I have an allergic reaction to it, and it just doesn't work. Which, like, it, the minute they stop, they kind of just trying to reinvent themselves a little bit with the sort of the big set piece on the boats, I think, this kind of just goes away for a second. Yeah, that that stuff doesn't bother me as much as I, I think as it does you guys more, you know, more in tune with the original, probably. Um, I noticed the yellow barrel didn't bother me, but I can appreciate <laughs> the comments. Appreciate where did, you're coming from. But did, did it bother you that they, they gave the shark a scar as well? <laughs> a big burn mark, yes. <laughs> There's a scene probably worth mentioning is the the boat explosion and the the water oh, skier pre eighties right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's something we've been talking about for weeks now. Boat explosions. So that's a juicy one right there. The, the amount of petrol these people have on their boats is just astounding. Like this is oh, a, I, the <laughs> amount that this lady dumps on herself in she error or not. Good lord. It like in the she's so bad at acting that like it just does not look like an accident. Like she just it looks like she self-immolates to get away from this. Yeah, yeah, she's just I just I don't know reenacts yeah. the scene in front of the sort of the, the um, um, embassy in Saigon. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the shot's not even close. Yeah, yeah, that scene is pretty good. Like the whole chase, I actually yeah. really like. Um, but the, the way it ends is crazy, especially with like the old woman who sees this lady freaking out on the boat and doesn't do anything about it until the boat explodes. Like that's when she stands up and is like, oh, is something going on over there? <laughs> so so something like, is happening. Damn, yeah. hip, damn hippies <laughs> and their drugs again. <laughs> just, just, and I almost forget like in terms of like another piece of pandering, like in original Jaws, you have the kids karateing the picket fences as in there's a moment of people trying to distract Brody from doing his job. Like there's just these people going like, oh yeah, you have to deal with this chief. There's a guy trying to do, trying to get him to do something. And I can't remember what it is when they're just getting, do you, do you guys remember when they get, but it's, it's the guy is saying that there's a woman who's dancing and yes. oh, yeah. luring my yes. son, yes. <laughs> yes. distracting <laughs> and hussy. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can you go and just in- yeah. investigate this <laughs> I really just... like that moment, though, because Shiner sells it. He's like, Hendrix, will you go look yeah, at this or... dancing or whatever? And Hendrix is like, yeah. dancing? He's, he's, yeah. Everyone's so confused by what's happening. Well, like, they, why this man is in the police station for this. It's almost like they're, they're, they're trying to have these running jokes because in Jaws 4, they have the cow tipping. It's just like, oh, mm-hmm. can you go and cow tipping? <laughs> what does it mean? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. But to me, the film... I mean, one of the sort of, I think, I think what I remember from the interview I saw with uh, Jeanneau Schwark, um was when he was trying to say um, that, you know, you can't recreate the first sort of scene where the, the shark jumps on the, uh, on the, on the orca and just tips it over and Quint dies because that's the, honestly, the first scene where you see the animatronic shark mm-hmm. in full regalia, right? So you can't go back, even though they're trying to reinvent the, wheel in here you can't go back and pretend the shark doesn't exist and you're like go and go with the barrels again or just try to have some kind of an airsatz for for suspense you have the, the the his idea was we have to show the shark as much as possible because people are aware of the shark so they come to see the shark so we need to show them the shark the shark is what's yeah. going to sell the movie how yeah. where do you guys stand on this sort of concept of going well, full out on the shark I, th- I think that's where it's new territory and they don't quite realize the the magic of jaws it's not necessarily an always seeing the shark it's uh, the calculated showing of the shark you know it's the generation of suspense and sometimes it's what you don't see it's some of that hitchcockian stuff and it's um the you know the script is tight and the characters have arcs and this here is more about you know the moments and you know just trying to steal some of the scenery from the press kit of the original Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's a wrong way to make like a shark movie or not. Because you, you like, it's not necessarily a good movie, but it's a really entertaining movie. I like Deep Blue Sea a lot, and you see the shark a bunch in that movie. But it's well, not trying yeah. to be this sort of like, you know, high-minded thriller about you know failed bureaucracy and modes of masculinity the way Jaws is either. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it it's is not like, a pandemic thriller. It's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just like shark. Yeah, like that's the point of Deep Blue Sea is shark, and so when you when I pay to see Deep Blue Sea, I better see the shark all over that thing. But with something carrying the name of Jaws, like you kind of feel like you know what you're getting into, and then you see this, and that's fine. But the shark doesn't kill enough people for as much as it's in the movie. I feel like, Mm -hmm. and that's where Mm -hmm. you know, um, Randy, you were talking about there's too many teenage characters in here and there's a lot of them mm-hmm. and they don't as a result they all have like pretty poorly defined arcs like we know one thing about most of them and we can't keep their names straight but then none of them really like do anything for the movie yeah. like they're there to hang out and you're like oh, okay especially watching it in a post slasher world you think okay these kids are here so we can know one thing about them and then we're like oh they died sad and then none of them die so you're like why do i even know one thing about them like they went nowhere and then they also didn't die so they're just kind of there yeah i wonder if it's part of the spectacle they want is all of those sailboats and all of those craft because Mm -hmm. one thing i do like about the the set piece and the the scope of the the final act in jaws 2 is there's like seven boats and there's all kinds of weird logistics and getting them tangled up and having them drift apart from one another and rafting them together. That to me is pretty cool, actually. And I quite like that. So I guess you need at least seven kids. 
Yeah. <laughs> seven crafts. There's, there's a great <laughs> shot near the beginning when they pull back and reveal all the kids on the boats and like John Williams, who also made an excellent sound score for this, mm-hmm. uh, hits, when he pulls back into that, when the edit pulls back into that, in the in the sort of like jaunty music that's more akin to like what we hear on the orca in the back half of Jaws, he slots in like a couple notes of the Jaws theme because all the sails look like shark fins. And I really like that oh, scene. I think that's my favorite bit of like mm-hmm. visual in the movie of, of seeing the, the sailboats cutting through the air like shark fins. Oh, now I need to rewatch it. By the way, I didn't. I, I failed. I failed to ask. By the way, is in Orca as well. Um, I, just when when you mentioned the shark fins, it's just for some reason it just escaped me that I had a note. Does an the Orca's dorsal fin does it instill as much fear as the as the shark fin? Because we see quite a lot of it in here. Into an or in Orca, you do see quite a lot of it when when it just roams around in the background and just like oh, it's out there. It's just waiting for you to get out on the boat. Is, uh, is, is a, a shark fin a better? Uh, probably shark fin probably to me is a little bit better because it's the the shark's a little bit more ghostly, whereas the mm-hmm. orca honestly is a little bit more friendly and is more likely to be a plush stuffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they use it well in orca. Like the moment yeah. before the moment before Richard Harris gets yeeted onto the iceberg. <laughs> is yeah. is pretty tense actually like when the the orca is circling him you're and you kind of mm-hmm. don't really know how how it's going to end um i think that's really well done and it, it does make the orca and the fin seem pretty menacing yeah. as it's just circling him like you can feel it thinking almost which is how you would make a scary orca but orca doesn't do enough to with that like it, it mm-hmm. literally like it almost anthropomorphizes the orca in certain parts mm-hmm. where he's like like the orca will pop out of the water and like deliver lines at Richard it Harris. It roars as well. <laughs> yeah, and it roars. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's scarier when you see it circling and you're like, oh, that's still an animal. Like it's it's got this animal instinct and that means it's unpredictable. And I, I do like the fins as well. Like when you have the pod of the pod of whales uh, pushing the, the mom to the beach, like that is actually sort of nice. And you've got, you know, multiple, which is a very... I imagine a complicated shot. Is that like, did mm-hmm. they have a eight of those things? So yeah, the family of fins was pretty interesting too. I find also yeah. as well, like you can probably also find out which, which shots involve fake orcas and which aren't, because I think all this, all the real orcas have this sort of floppy fin because yes. that's what happens to them in captivity. Yeah. For yes. some reason they yeah. just go floppy and no one really, I think knows why, unless there is an explanation that I'm not aware of. Uh, there's uh, theories of depression and yeah. there's something about like reduced calcium or something. They touch on it in the, in the documentary Blackfish. Um, yes. mm-hmm. But there's, I don't think there's a definitive reason why. Yeah, I think there are th- theories, but I'm not sure if I remember. Like, this is what this is. A, there's a scientific basis of why this is happening. Here it is, right? But um, just coming back to, the, <laughs> to Joel's too as well. I actually feel like there are, there are people who die in this film. It's just you mm-hmm. don't see it. You don't yeah. feel like you're part of the experience mm-hmm. when people actually bite those because the two divers die in the beginning. You can't see shit. <laughs> um, there's there's two people it's on the awful. boat, exploding boat. There's there, there like arguably you could say there's more people who die in Jaws two than than, than in Jaws one. But it doesn't feel like that. And I'll I'll go out on a limb and I'll say, for this movie to be successful and maybe sustain a franchise and develop a story further, they should have killed Sean. I'm just gonna say this: the Sean should have been eaten by a shark in there, and then that kind of gives Roy Scheider a reason to come back for Jaws three. That, yeah, that's and that speaks to stakes 
And yeah, okay. one thing that does legitimately feel lacking here is is stakes, or at least the understanding of what the what the stakes are here. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We talk that's about a, that's that a good take. all the time on LG Fam and like <laughs> we Alex? yeah, it's 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 you know, I mean I think that's what sets Jaws apart, right? Like Alex Kittner mm-hmm. happens, right? And you're like, shit, mm-hmm. they killed the ten year old kid, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, oh my goodness. But so it looks like there's I don't know. It's, it, I don't know if this, this is Carl Gottlieb or this is whoever whoever's producing this. They just don't. They they want to play it safe, and I don't think that's the right thing to do. And the only things they do, they just you know they they just make these sort of offhand comments, either calling back to the original Jaws or just uh, poking fun at the uh, ripoffs of the film, like with the with the orca carcass, and then Chief Brody going like, "Oh, I remember this. I remember this." and you know, because we and it, he starts to measure the bite radius himself, and it's just it's it's a bit ridiculous. He's trying to play Matt Hooper for a second, and <laughs> and then I think they're all established a running joke because he thinks it's a fish, and now it's a mammal. And then just three have the same. Like his son is like they like they're they're all dummies. They don't know the difference between fish and whales. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah. It just feels like this this movie kind of lacks a reason to exist almost like the only yep. reason it exists is to make money yep i agree speaking of reasons to make money i think this is a good time to transition to just three no let's do it because <laughs> that one yeah anyway so that let's talk. is an that yeah. is an apt segue if ever there were one <laughs> I'm, I'm learning because like in here we every every week we sit down and think to ourselves we're going to be brief this time and then what comes out the other end is a two and a half hour behemoth. And <laughs> it just never happens. I'm just trying to be brief. Anyway, let's talk about Jaws 3, D. I don't believe it. She got him in the water. Never underestimate the power, Attention, you in the water. You are trespassing on SeaWorld property. Come out of the water with your hands raised high above your head. I'm okay. My brother works here. Uh, I'm Kelly Ambukowski from the ski team. You turkeys have any ID? Wait a minute. Mike? Hey. Okay, so directed by Joe Alves, who used to be the assistant director on Jaws 2 and the production designer on Jaws. So Jaws 3 stars Dennis Quaid, Leah Thompson, Louis Gossett Jr., and a bunch of other people. Uh, and follows Michael Brody, who now works in SeaWorld in Orlando, where a giant shark uh, sneaks through the gate into the festive man-made lagoon with underwater fixtures. And guess what happens? He starts wreaking havoc again. And there's a twist because there's two sharks and one of them is small. Spoiler alert. Anyway, it was released in 1983, as I said, directed by Joe Alves. It was part of the sort of early 80s 3D sort of reappreciation craze where people f- figured out we're, we're doing sequels now. So how about we de- we do the third one in 3D? Because that's going to be smart. So Am- Amityville 3D was a thing. Friday the 13th 3D was a thing. I think Halloween 3 successfully evaded the 3D craze. <clears throat> anyway, so but weirdly enough, I think this 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 is this warrants at least a, I don't know an eyebrow raise. It was originally pitched as a spoof called the Jaws Three People Zero, yep. and they hired John Hughes among others 
uh, to, to write the script. They had Joe Dante tough to direct, but I think he denied. Um, yeah. yeah. And then Roy Scheider did not want to be in this so much that he took Blue Thunder to make sure that this wouldn't happen. Yeah. Just, just going to put it out there. <laughs> he called his agent. You got to give me something else quick. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you. Like, I love Blue Thunder. This is a movie of my childhood. One of many. It's just helicopters and people on the loose. Sign me up. And Roy Scheider from Jaws. Jesus, like, what are you talking about? Anyway. <laughs> uh, so anyways, he, he went to star in a Blue Thunder film. <laughs> and then, okay, I'm going to just, let's just go and talk about this. The film was an absolute flop, critically. Nominated for five Razzies. Still made bank. Like 88 million on 18 million dollar yeah. budget. Like, you, you can't, we can't lose with a Jaws sequel, can you? So... Anyway, here's the floor is yours. How about guys tell us what you think about Jaws 3D? MJ, do you want to go first again? Like we have now, now a bit of a sort of tradition in here. I love this stupid movie. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Boys. <laughs> Shall I Sit? take it from there? Yeah, I love this. You can elaborate movie. in a moment. Yeah, I love this stupid movie. That's all I'm gonna say right now. Okay. Jakob, you know I try to be positive, and I've you know, I, know I you do. Try. I, I, I do. Try. But Jaws 3D is so bad. <laughs> it is bad, 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 unforgivably bad in my view. Oh. And the little analogy I wrote is Jaws itself in 75 was a rock. It was a sturdy foundation of narrative, style. You could build an industry on this, the box office, future was built on Jaws and its release. But now, eight or so years later, Jaws is worn away by ripoffs, the erosion of ripoffs and maybe the first sequel. But now you've got a ton of guano and seagull <laughs> shit all over it, which is ultimately the dumplings of bad executive ideas all over this rock that basically in my mind it ruins the franchise it's it's just unrecognizable anymore and i really hate jaws 3 i can appreciate that it's on its own path it wants to be a romp and you know it's 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 going down an avenue of simple-minded you know slasher and that type of understanding fine but I think that it's just in love with this idea of showing itself off as a theme park. It's the answer to Disney opening Epcot in Epcot Center in 1982. This is our version of that. We can do fancy stuff. And it's just this nonsensical pandering of sequel one-upmanship. And hey, look, we'll put our water skiers in a pyramid. Hey, look, we'll do 3D. Hey, look, we'll go underwater and we've got a, basically a space station under there. Remember Black Hole? Well, we've got that space station in our lagoon. This is so stupid. Nothing works. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. That's it. And and I look forward to you guys telling me how I'm wrong. Please turn me around. No, you're hundred percent right. I love this movie <laughs> for okay. all the wrong reasons. Uh, okay. All I will say is, but it's so much fun, Jan. Get it. <laughs> Oh, here's one one more note. Sorry. To me, this is as if the MCU released 1994's unfinished Fantastic Four movie and called it part of MCU canon. And this is our new MCU movie. It's just that shockingly bad that they are burning their own brand so badly. And there might be Michael Crichton shout outs there a little bit to the Westworld, Future World, Jurassic Park type of thing. But 
it's not enough. It's well, not enough. Sorry. Shout out to Michael Crichton. It's the longest stretch I think I've ever heard you pull off in here. But uh, <laughs> it's this movie's so dumb that you know, like, it's so good that it's so short as well. I mean, mm-hmm. th- we didn't mention this. The Jaws two is nearly two hours long, which is I think it's like twenty six minutes too long. This should be a ninety minute affair, just like the rest of the sequels. But anyway, <clears throat> Jaws three D. I have to say, the idea of making it in three D is the biggest mistake ever <laughs> because just from the, a point of uh, of view of appreciating a film just watching it it looks like hot garbage in terms of just film preservation it looks bad mm-hmm. it's just it looks like this the film stock has been man- manipulated so much that it just looks loses all definition everything's slightly blurry even <laughs> It's just like you're, you're almost forced to watch it with this sort of green and red glasses yeah. so that you don't appreciate the, the, the hot mess that, that it looks like. However. Well, so I, I to, yeah. to, to, for the Let's Jaws for a Minute episodes covering these, I bought the three disc Blu-ray set for all three movies. Um, so now I have digital <laughs> copies of the three Jaws sequels. But I, I mean, figured... Yeah, that one. Yep. Yeah, that'd be it's it. It's out of print in the UK. Like this is worth millions now. Sorry, no, not really. <laughs> um, but uh, the UK has steel books of them, which are really pretty. Yeah, um, and also really expensive. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, but it was twelve bucks for all three movies, so that lets you know what uh, Universal thinks about them here in the states. And uh, oh, I bought it for seven pounds as well when it wasn't yeah. when originally yeah so let's just so it's 10 bucks in here (laughs) so So, same deal sarah sarah was like oh i need to pick up that set too i heard jaws 3 looks pretty good um uh, comparatively and then i watched it and i dm'd her and i was like whoever told you that was a damn liar like there's universal signs tilted it's off center (laughs) off center Uh, it looks so bad it looks so bad the film in general i don't know i have so much fun watching this it's so dumb i mean the the (laughs) microcosm of what this film is is the game standoff i have a i mean it's gonna make an appearance on one of my lists i'll put it that way but the idea of the Oh, they're playing standoff. I want to play standoff. It's just never heard of a standoff. Who plays? Yeah, it's not a thing. But you know, like you and but then you don't know what's going on. You're just what's happening. No idea. But you're just enjoying these two people doing this. Are you though? I'm not. <laughs> because you're a sourpuss. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, <laughs> Jakob. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> continue <laughs> yeah so to me this is this whole film is like this of the game of standoff like and then there's and there's me in there which is also going to make an appearance that like, when the main characters are done playing standoff there's this one guy who's like you you and me you you next <laughs> we're going to play standoff like this guy's very excited about playing standoff and this is me being excited about Jaws 3D, a film that no one should be excited about, but for some reason it works for me. And it has this sort of weird, like, 50s allure almost. It looks like Forbidden Planet. <laughs> it's just what it lacks is Leslie Nielsen pointing at stuff like, look! And then there's this shark complete composited in because it's supposed to stick out of the screen. Yep. And then 
cuts back to the cockpit. Like it looks like a Star Trek episode almost. <laughs> <even. laughs> I can and, I can forgive the three D effects because that's a gimmick that they're that they're trying. But everything else being such a failure, like of all the IPs that should put their best foot forward and have the money to do so, like it it's Jaws, and they're treating it like such a schlocky walk in the park and it just it's just so offensive to so me even that like they're doing it this way louis louis gossett jr being so sort of the let's just say richard Pryor from superman 3 that you can yeah. afford you know the thing to me that delights me is that SeaWorld licensed the moon. The, the, I their know, brand right? is bizarre. so crazy. Bizarre. It's so and, nuts. And this is pre-Universal Orlando opening, but these things are planned so far in advance. You know Universal had it in their back pocket at that time. They had to have, I don't know if it had been announced yet, but you know they were thinking about doing mm-hmm. Orlando Park to compete with Disney. And so it was essentially uh, like I, my tinfoil hat, view on this is that it was a way to sabotage the reputation of SeaWorld in the wake of them opening Universal Orlando in a handful of years. But why would they allow, like, did, were they that sort of starved for money? <laughs> I have no idea because SeaWorld's public persona or public uh, reputation at that time was nowhere near as tarnished as it is now. So, like, I don't know mm. why they would need that sort of a PR for them. And SeaWorld hated the movie. Really? Didn't they? I mean, oh, yeah. did they? Where they talk? Oh, is this like a John Carpenter assault on Precinct Thirteen sort of situation where you're you're telling them? I mean, well, it's like John Carpenter was was asked to remove a scene, and he says it says to to MPA, yeah, I totally removed it, and he didn't. Like, so is um, this one of those situations where you're like, no, it's going to be totally positive. Like, we're going to paint, see what like such a light. Oh my goodness, you're going to get such a great PR, and they, they see the movie, and it's like, this is what you're telling me. <laughs> Yeah, because they cared enough to save those tourists. <laughs> I mean, at the end, the dolphins come back. Okay, it's all good, <laughs> but it's just so much fun. I don't know why, why why you don't like it. It's just it's just so odd. Like you have this sort of big game hunter guy, just this suave sort of oh, James Bond Fitzroy, and there's his yeah. his sidekick who calls him Governor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the time Governor. It's just great. And was it naming the characters after the Brody kids? That was sort of an afterthought. Didn't didn't a producer say, "No, you gotta you gotta connect it to the brand"? And this is like the only the only thread of connective mm-hmm. tissue, yeah, <laughs> except the shark, which they retcon in the fourth one, but mm-hmm. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> but I I don't know. Like for, of, of all the, of all the Jaws sequels, mm-hmm. this like the second one could I, honestly can just don't, not exist. Like this is the this is the Roger Corman production that this this franchise needed to turn into because it has to be appreciated on the same level as well Battle Beyond the Stars or like I don't know Carnosaur has to be appreciated. This is a pile of garbage that well, you I, can't take seriously. I think all the sequels have something in common with the Corman pictures because even two is like a beach party movie, but there's a shark. Mm, yeah, true, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, the, and yeah. the shark itself is also, I mean, in the second, the shark itself also kind of looks like it's a little bit, like they've reused the same Bruce. It's just, it looks mm-hmm. like it has, it's been beaten up a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And is the, is the shark in the third one, by the way, an early CG or is this just bad compositing of an animatronic effect? I, or? Think, it's I think it's just, yeah. It's yeah. It's terrible. It looks <laughs> awful. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I love that Dan. I 
my favorite thing, one of my favorite things in this movie is that Michael and Sean just have Southern accents now. Yes, um, they do. Despite being from yes, the American do. Northeast, uh, <laughs> because Quaid's from Texas and that other guy's yeah. presumably from Texas as well. What's um, what's the actor for, uh, who played Sean? Um, is it John Putch or something? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, John I, Putch. I thought he was possibly the fir- the worst actor in these four movies. He is so really flat. He is really weak. <laughs> yeah, you know, I felt for him because he almost banged Leah Thompson. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I was just like, well, maybe that maybe that is the end of their arc. They just got put off in uh, an ambulance uh, with about half an hour left and disappear. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because well, Leah Thompson gets <laughs> gets gets injured and doesn't even lose a leg. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that game standoff or whatever it's called must be a hell of an aphrodisiac because they just seem to fall in love in that moment. You know, Cupid's arrow right there, whatever that bar room pushing game is. Do you think because... Sean, Sean was playing standoff with a boner? Or... <laughs> yes. I, I, don't, I don't know, yes, but there was an uh, instant attraction that made no sense. He goes like, my fly's open, and by the way, it's sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> Shove. <laughs> so bad so stupid but there are so many stupid moments in there like there's this for some but it i know it's it's a hodgepodge it's one of those things that i think producers were just like oh we need to put it in here or we need to put a line in there because like the test audiences don't understand what's happening like you have these like clearly adr sort of like situations where they just park a van and it's like you can see that these people are not moving their mouths as well and it's like are you sure this van's gonna be safe in here? We're on SeaWorld property. Who's gonna know? This road's barely used. I can, I can, you can feel like someone gave them a note and said, like, you, like no one knows what they're doing. Like, what was what's happening? Like, we need to, an explanation here. Like, but I like the fact that they have to kind of just, you know, it's a, it's such a hot mess. It's, it's adorable. And also, the shark gets bigger. Like, it's so big, it's ridiculous. It's like the Meg level of big. The <laughs> thirty footer. That was the. That's the. That yeah. I. I love that about this too. Is it's like, it's like the Justin Timberlake in the Social Network version of a Jaws sequel, where it's like, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's cool. Two sharks. You know, it's cool. <laughs> a thirty foot shark. Yeah, like it's just the linear progression of just how do we make this better? Mm. Was there any reference shark. to mutations in this? That's something we've seen in some of the other animal attacks, but it's just a big honking shark. Yeah, what you need is the piranha two level of stupid, as in like this is need, this needs to be a flying shark. Just saying. Yeah. Or better yet, <laughs> pollute the whole lagoon to kill it. <laughs> oh, it's just so bad, but I like yeah. it. I don't know. It's so much fun. It's like, it's almost hard to talk about it, like because there's nothing in here. Like there's no oh, yeah. thematic mm-hmm. depth to anything. It's all you can always just. Like it's one of those situations where you can point out lines and laugh at them, and it's great. Yeah, it's like just when... dumb as shit. Like that's the only entertainment value is that it's just incredibly stupid. Um, yeah. My favorite, my favorite behind the scenes thing is that Dennis Quaid was once asked what it was like to work on Jaws three, and he said, "I was in Jaws what." <laughs> yeah because he had drug problems on this didn't he yeah oh, nice. he said, this is the he era said that yeah. he was on so much cocaine while they were filming yeah. that he has no memory of making this movie you know what it kind of feels like lucky that. bugger yeah. <laughs> I tell you. it kind of explains a lot why he's while well, he's barely blinking right yeah <laughs> just wired yeah. and explains the uh gusto which with he goes to clear the rest of the park at the end of the movie 
<laughs> oh yeah, that's, and there's but then there's yeah there's the idea of like here's a double double twist sort of like situations like there's a shark and then um, what's this, what's her name Bess 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 is it Bess is it Armstrong um, Emma, is Emma, yeah, Bess, yeah Bess Armstrong, Bess Armstrong. yeah gets yeah, attacked yeah. by a shark and you're like oh that's that can, that's the shark and they caught the shark and just for some reason they have a, a white a great white in captivity and everyone knows that you can't keep them in captivity because they die um, and but then there's this stupid scene I never understood the sort of concept of well they if Louis Gossett Jr. takes the makes the executive decision and says, like, we need to put it out and then just show it to people. And all of a sudden, the shark dies, and just like as a, as a result of what being watched, <laughs> it has been perceived, and now it must go. Yeah. It's just like, oh no, there are people, and I'm not dressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so bad. I will say that Louis... CPR as well. <laughs> Louis Gossett Jr. is sort of a bright, shining light in here. Like, I just mm-hmm. think he's so joyfully over the top it's great some of his yeah he knows what movie he's in yeah oh yeah (laughs) yeah i would say so does fitzroyce too simon mccorkendale no yeah yeah (laughs) i mean i i don't know i i I don't know i I don't understand how i mean you you can't take this movie seriously that's just first and foremost like if you sit down and to watch this the way you watch Casablanca, like you're not gonna have a good time. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, so Andy, like you're, I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and I might be, but what really bothers me is that clearly there's an effort by producers to uh, pander and reach into my wallet to get money, and they're not even trying on their end. They're, yeah. you know, <clears throat> everything is half-assed, and they're running this through like a rinky-dink channel. I don't know the budget on it, but I oh, think it's okay. 18 million. 18, 15 or 18 million, something like that. Yeah, quite a so few million. <laughs> nah, not quite a few. Something like Ghostbusters, which was a total shot in the dark, was like 20, 25 million, and that's just the next year. Um, so I think they're going <laughs> semi, semi the cheap route, um, but they know that they know that this is going to have such and such a return on investment and that's all they care about. And they're not even putting their best foot forward. And that's sort of what bothers me. Yeah. And it's wild too, because Carl Gottlieb co-wrote this with Richard Matheson. Mm. He did, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what, what happened guys? Were you also on all the cocaine that Dennis Quaid wasn't doing? Like, no, no, they were with him in the room. Yeah. This like, one you know, feels like, like this was made to... by committee. <laughs> you, this you was made in a boardroom. I'm fine with that. Uh, in the committee, it, like in the can in the writers' room, it just so happens that Dennis Quaid was also in this room, and he had a box of cocaine. So yeah, <laughs> just just saying that you know everyone was on drugs. Yeah. Well, and also you have like Alves and he's like he's been there since the beginning too. You know, like it's in his one and only directing credit. <laughs> yeah, like you, you can't imagine why you didn't get another one, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I also love that in the in the uh, in the opening credits it says like based on characters suggested yeah. by the novel eventually. Yes. <laughs> Is, it, yeah. is this one of those situations that Peter Benchley didn't want to have anything to do with this? So you can't, just, you can't yeah. even base, base it on my characters because it's I not even... Yeah. yeah, I don't know what his involvement in Jaws 3 People Zero was, but I know the opening scene of that movie is Peter Benchley getting eaten by a shark in his home in his swimming pool at home. And they and wanted, actually him. Actually yeah. him, right? Yeah, as a cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They wanted that, that would have been great. Which, 
would have been but great. This would have been like Shark Sharknado level of stupid. And by the way, I really like Sharknado. But yeah, same. <laughs> I I yeah I I can get behind Sharknado. Yeah, Jaws three people zero is my most wanted. Like if I were elected president of Hollywood tomorrow, <laughs> I'm like digging that script out and finding green light. So yeah, it's not it's not Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon, it's not uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. It's just three people zero. It's a hundred percent just three people zero. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that movie so bad. What like Spielberg refusing to work with ever whatever studio uh, makes that be damned. He's made enough movies. It's fine. Uh, was it was was that for real? That he didn't want to have anything to do with. Was it? Did he have something to do with Joe Dante and getting fired from the film, or just Joe Alves? He didn't have anything to do with. I'm not sure. I think. Um, <clears throat> so I think Dante departed after they abandoned the sort of like Zaz oh. concept, mm-hmm. um, and like the reason they did it is because Spielberg threatened to not work with Universal ever again, and so Universal pulled the plug. All right. Um, okay. So because they knew they they knew you know. Let's just say everyone knew that Spielberg was a goose that laid golden eggs. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, yeah, this is the height yeah. of right, like indie, and he's getting ready to make, you know, color ET. purple. Yeah. Comes out of you, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, true. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 such a weird situation. You can uh, find the script online, by the way. I think. Can you? Ooh, I think this- so. Oh, I need, I need to, I need to dig it out somewhere because it, it honestly sounds. Oh, by the way, this is something I, I felt to ask you. In Jaws two, is Peter Benchley having? Does Peter Benchley have a cameo? I feel, I feel like I saw him somewhere, like taking a photo of someone. I don't know. I'm not sure. There was this that scene on the cool. beach where this family was taking a photograph, and there was this guy taking, like, like their dad just taking a photo. I'm just like, is that Peter Benchley? <laughs> just... Can't find anything. No, I suppose mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just wrong. That's what it is. <laughs> Happens. <laughs> uh, anyway, but over, overall, I don't I don't know how much how much longer can we talk about Jaws three without just listing one line. It's not very long. <laughs> it's just yeah. such a weird movie. Although I do appreciate the fact that it kind of looks like it's a film that was made in, like was Clash of the Titans same year. Mm, wasn't that eighty or eighty one? I think it was like eighty or eighty-one. Because it feels to me like it's kind of the same, like a, the same ballpark, like a film made in the fifties that kind of just sat on the shelf for like three decades in terms yeah. of how it's put together. It's so odd, but I, yeah, I well, like it. One. Yeah, with that three uh, D gimmick too, right? Like it feels like creature. Yes. Black yeah. So it looks equally garbage now on Blu-ray. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so so many interesting things about this that, but weirdly enough, to, like, Jaws 2 has this, like, these sort of animated scenes where shark attacks certain things, like, there's the animatronic animal coming out of the water doing stuff, and here you don't see it, I suppose that's the sort of the main gripe I have with this film, because you can either see, you either see massive close-ups, and you see, like, the eye or the tooth or whatever, or the governor sticking out of the mouth because the shark's so big that he's essentially Jonah and the whale sort of situation um, with a grenade. Yeah, classic, classic moment. Classic moment, right? Yeah, but then equally, 
it's either this or these sort of ex sort of very sort of pulled out far shots with this composited plush animal coming at the screen and then ruining fake glass, which is just the best. Incredible. I but, love that part so much. But, I don't slow-mo after? Ugh. Oh, yes. The slow That's and good. then how it just in slow-mo just takes the person out. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. But overall, I kind of feel like this this could have could have used some, I don't know, call it more violence, as in just sequences where there's a shark in a bit more of a perspective of a person in their mouth, which is something mm -hmm. that Jaws 4 kind of does a bit better. Which, weirdly enough, may be a segue. <laughs> uh, unless there's something else that you guys want to talk about in terms uh, of I Jaws just wanted, 3. Have you guys ever seen the poster for Jaws 3 People Zero? No. Ooh. No. Can you share a link? We'll just... At the oh, hello. <clears throat> oh, I can't see anything. Oh, there oh, it is. Really? Oh, yeah, and no, I see it. Oh. The unmaking of a legend. This is yeah. so. I Okay. That's good. What, can can we get MJ to become the president of Hollywood? Because I need this film in my life. <laughs> yeah. I want that poster so bad. There's a whole book about unmade Jaws sequels, actually. Um, With the USS Indianapolis and all these as well? I think so. Um, oh, my. The uh, shark looks unmade. like the the lost sequels, prequels, remakes, and ripoffs. There you go. Ooh. La di da. Anyway, I, I I feel like this is this is one of those films that it's kind of just it's hard to kind of even have a conversation about without just pointing at lines and saying like, look at Dennis Quaid, look how high he is. Yeah. <laughs> or just, well, Dennis Quaid was also yeah. pointing at lines. He was pointing at lines. Yeah. And these lines were magically disappearing. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then they're, they're they're cool. Like he almost feels like he's just a, like for for the time a modern day sort of Sean Connery. Like he's just like always two inches away from from slapping women on the ass and just <laughs> like he's just this sort of level of and like people kiss each other like Mwah! it's just very odd. It's just so odd. Uh, but anyway, I have a feeling that it's probably a good point to kind of transition to Jaws the Revenge. Evan, find the engine! Evan, try to start the engine! Son of a bitch! Let's get out of here! No, it's too late, Hoagie! He's gonna come for us! Give me a hard point! Hey! Directed by Joseph Sargent, who, by the way, directed quite a few films in contrast to Joe Alves, who didn't do much, right? But he also did Colossus The Forbin Project, Taking Off the Pelham 1 to 3, the original, <laughs> just in case, with Robert Shaw as well. Yeah. Uh, um, so the film stars Lorraine Gary in her final role. He, she was like done with acting after that, I think. Michael Caine, well, who was to get it right. There you go. Like <laughs> she probably, she was probably like you know, uh, what's her name, Sigourney Weaver in like in she, Alien Four. It's like I feel yeah. like I have a connection to this character now. Ooh, <laughs> anyway, Michael Caine, Lance Guest, uh, the last Starfighter guy, Mario Van Peebles. This is going to be a conversation, no doubt. And a few other people in a story about Ellen Brody, who having lost her son, Sean, to a shark attack 
ends up visiting Michael in the Bahamas, like where he works as a marine researcher. So effectively, they just pretend Jaws 3 didn't happen. What she doesn't know is that the shark that killed Sean is soon to make an appearance and confront the Brody family in what can only be an act of interspecies vendetta. So it was made in 1987. Jaws 3 made money. Sequel was needed. Like it just was fast tracked. Universal dropped like $29 million on this. So they made it because they wanted to breathe it in time for summer of 1987. So they ignored the events of Jaws 3 and they even called it a conclusion to the trilogy. That's just how, yeah, the level of retconning on display is just so amazing. Um, they had two endings in there, so we might as well just touch on this at some point. And then the film didn't work for the critics, put it that way. It was, it's, I think it still stands. Like if, if you open like your random screen rant article about like top 10 films that are regarded as worst films ever made, it's up there. Zero <laughs> percent on Ron's manners. Zero percent. If I if I ever get certified, this would this would get a fresh for me. But anyway, we're gonna get to it. I don't <laughs> want to prejudge. I don't want to prejudge. I I wrote a two thousand word essay on how great this film is. It's on Clapper somewhere. Um. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Prisons of Just Three doesn't exist. One of the worst films ever made, but still made to twenty well fifty two million dollars and twenty nine million dollar budget. But since it was such a bomb. I think it effectively killed the franchise. I mean, it's not that it killed the franchise. They they finished the trilogy, didn't they? The trilogy of four. It's not, it's like Douglas Adams wrote it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what do you guys think about Jaws the Revenge? Um, I want to stress how unironic I am being about my next statement. And that is, they saved the best Jaws sequel for last. Amen. <laughs> Short and sweet. Randy? Uh, I think context is important. And I think that we started talking a little bit about the, the 70s and the 80s. Um, cinema, in a way, went off the rails a little bit in the 80s. It got silly and wanted to go big. And and it's not all bad, but there's this just embrace in the market of more fanciful wonderment and aliens and adventure. And I think also that coincided with what would have been a new golden era of content at the time because you have uh, cable popping up needing more content and you have uh, more video markets and you have more wide releases uh, than at any point in history uh, prior. So we talk about this being a golden age of content. It was sort of like that, um, you know, an earlier version of that in the 80s. So I think you have a lot of cinema that gets silly and goes off the rails and goes big and, uh, that's what I feel this this film is. I'm not nearly as offended by Jaws the Revenge because uh, just three is just, you know, Jaws 4, the producers and Universal wisely disregarded that heap of trash because it was offensive and should be forgotten. Um, this goes back to Amity, brings back the characters. It re-embraces the franchise. And I'm, I'm happy to see that. To Amity for like 10 minutes. Come on. But it goes back, it goes back, um, you know, and maybe it's inevitable that this this uh, this idea goes stupid, but at least they're they're trying, they're connecting it back to its roots. And I can I can appreciate that uh, a little bit. It is really, really silly and it's got a lot of problems, but I appreciate it a lot more than uh, 3D. 
So, I'll say that. So you're not gonna bust my bungee. <laughs> <laughs> no, your your bungee will be fine, it's, man. <laughs> it's boom backlot. <laughs> I think this is a swear word for Jamaicans. I don't know. I just quickly Google just because I'm just thinking 1987. What a great year for cinema. Robocop, Predator, this, Superman four. <laughs> And I'm just thinking, and I just quickly Googled like 1987 in film, and Google just tells me mm-hmm. top fix for, for you Angel Heart, great. The Running Man, f- fair enough. I love Arnie. And Inner Space, Predator, The Untouchables, Batteries Not Included. And then Jaws the Revenge, it tells me it's the top pick for me. And boy, is it right. You know, just Sp- Steven Spielberg missed out on directing this film. Just he directed Empire of the Sun for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> this is this is just next level. Like this is like, this Who's is his agent. What's going on? Who's his agent? Like, what, I'm, 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 Real I'm misstep that Empire of the Sun. <laughs> I don't know, young Christian Bale. It's just annoying, you know. Anyways, <laughs> and no, I'm just being completely serious. If I can't be serious, like this movie's dumb, like really, really dumb. And I've seen this fifty times already by this time. Like this is a film when when I was nine or ten, and then I was learning all about cinema, and my cousin told me like. I have, I have, I have, I have the fourth Jaws sequence. I was like, "There is a fourth one." <laughs> Let's watch this. <laughs> it was great, and it and great it is. Let's just put it that way. It's so dumb. It's so bombastic. It Michael Caine is inebriated the entire time. It's so good. I'm pretty yeah. sure he was just drunk on the rum this entire time. He could not do this, and, and his name is Hoagie as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's just sucking down those Bahama Mamas. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, let me show you how to pilot this plane. If you do this, wee, the houses get bigger. <laughs> it's just such a great film. I don't know. I unironically I can watch this weekly and I won't and I won't get tired of it. It's so it's so bad, it's good. It's it's that it's that sort of, not even so bad, it's good. It's just interesting, it's good. And like my theory on this was uh, was always that it's um it's like, you know, have you guys seen Raiders? Not Raiders of the Lost Ark, but the documentary Raiders about these three like idiots who are trying to make Raiders of the Lost Ark on oh, the cheap on weekends. no, but I know what you're talking no. about. Yeah, this feels like that. Only with the sort of exception of this This is made by people who know how to competently make movies with a yeah. studio backing, $30 million in the, in the bank, and then a lot behind their belt because joseph Sargent was a name like it's not like mm-hmm. he just he, he's not joe alves it's just like yeah. so what do i do yeah. now <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just well and michael kane yeah. wins an oscar while they're making this movie you know like <laughs> <laughs> and i think the real story why he doesn't go to the ceremony to accept it is probably because he can't get on the flight <laughs> Because he's probably drunk. <laughs> well, I it's thought not he was that he's just, tied he was up re- in production. He was they were reshooting to go the because people would be uh, making fun of him for starring in Joe's Four. <laughs> it's because they were reshooting the ending. Is why he wasn't able to. They they were actually reshooting the ending then. Oh my! Mm-hmm. Oh no! I... I guess they wouldn't have been. Now that I think about it, that story doesn't make sense because the Oscars are in what March? What, Mar- March. February, February, March. Yeah. Yeah. And they reshot oh. it. They reshot the end five days after the movie came out in July. Yeah. So, so there, there were yeah, people who saw it. the original ending with the shark impaled on the ship. Yeah. Which you can see on the Blu-ray. <laughs> it's just, just yeah. great. I mean, it makes a bit more sense. <laughs> yeah. But if it could make any sense, however, 
it's just good fun. So, why don't people love this movie as they should? <laughs> you know, I was I was really thinking about that because this so this is the draw sequel I've seen the most recently and also the least. I watched it yesterday for oh, the boy. first time ever. Oh, wow. um, because we just recorded our episode of Let's Draws for a Minute on it yesterday. I need to listen to this when this comes out. Oh my goodness, and, it's going to be epic. Um, I was sitting there going, I don't, 0%? Like, 0%. Really? No one, loved, no one liked it. Yeah, Zero like, people. No one liked this movie. I don't know. It just, it's wild to me that it does not feel like a 0% movie like i've seen way worse movies than jaws the revenge mm. it is so dumb like that's not to say it's not yeah. dumb as hell but like i've seen way worse shark movies i've seen way worse movies in general i think there's actually really interesting stuff that happens in the movie i think the movie has a massive set of balls on it for killing sean at the very beginning um and in a way that it does as well it's mm -hmm. so it's, gruesome yeah it sucks because the editing yeah. in that scene sucks but <laughs> Um, and then like, he, so nice. Yes. Yeah. He sells it. But like when he comes down and you can tell he's just got his arm under yeah, the, the ring yeah. you, can yeah. see his, you can see his arm. Yeah. <laughs> it's real <laughs> dumb. But thematically, I think it's really interesting. And I think, you know, obviously the whole the shark tracks them and is seeking revenge or whatever. It's so dumb. But there's a lot of the movie where until you get like absolute confirmation that that's what's happening, you can see it as like Ellen's grief and paranoia. And I think that's really interesting. I think Lorraine Gary's good in the movie. I think Michael mm -hmm. Caine is having the drunkest best vacation that he's been paid <laughs> to be on. Like Paid for. Bought yeah. and paid for. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I, I didn't think it was that bad at all. No, it's great. I I don't get the uh, the Lorraine Gary thing. I find that she's sort of out of her out of her depth here a little bit. I really I really, I really don't like her pun performance. Pun intended, what, or he, yeah, pun intended. Yeah, planned <laughs> that. Yeah, I find that she's a really weak actress, and I I really find that she's hamming it up and overacting in these scenes where she needs to show emotion, like um, like in the kitchen, and she sort of erupts and she throws pots and pans needlessly on on the floor like i think there's an overacting bit here that just sort of speaks maybe to her range as a performer um so i'm not on board what sorry mj can you say again what uh what sells you on her um i just think well i i'm a big ellen brody fan in general mm -hmm. and so i think i just really like that we get to spend an entire movie with her when we haven't gotten to know her as a character that well and i think maybe on the page i don't know i think she just understands ellen um really well like i don't think she's uh like n i mean performance wise you can have your opinion but i don't think she's acting out of character for how ellen would react in these situations and it's nice to see four movies in a decade in like she's got this sort of consistency in how the character would react to things mm -hmm. fair yeah. enough yeah fair however <laughs> she is a little bit paranoid as in mm -hmm. get out of the like you're in Baham you're in the Bahamas. Like this shark's not. I mean, she has no reason to believe the shark's gonna be here. And especially the Mario Van People says there's no sharks here, man, or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's too, the water is too 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 warm or something like this. And clearly, this shark doesn't care because it's made of plastic. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness, like I'm watching this because this is a film where the shark is always front and center. Like you see it in full bloom 
full body shark. There's no Jaws 3 sort of editing sort of snippets of mouths and then like a, f I don't know, composited 3D creature somewhere. It's just a model in the water and probably has a person inside just rowing away or piloting something. There's a, like you can feel like whenever it's swimming, like you can see it in on the surface of what you can mm -hmm. see there is a, there is a, it's a, it probably has a little engine because you can see there is, it makes waves at the end, at the end as well, like motorboat. It's just great. Um, and it swims like a, like a dead fish. And it feels, it makes the whole franchise look like a Planet of the Apes franchise a little bit, as in like they, they invested zero dollars in special effects. They're still raiding the closet for the original. And the shark looks so bad. They're just like putting tape on it. It's fine. It's gonna look great. It, the eyes are scratched. It's so good because they're just they're just ruined the, the the plastic shark, and it just looks. It doesn't look anywhere anywhere like a real thing. Yeah. I don't think it's supposed to, but at least I'll say this: they correct what Jaws. I mean, they're forgetting the Jaws three exists, but they're correcting what Jaws two didn't do: a killing Sean and b showing violence. This is because. I think out of all the four films, this is the most gruesome and violent film in the in in the series. Thoughts? I don't know. I we our our major complaint was that not enough people died because there's only like two people who actually die in the movie. The banana then, boat lady. Uh huh. Sean. Uh, Sean. And divorced. Because Jacob comes back for no reason oh Michael yeah King exactly that's a big mistake he should have been just no no, no. yeah go Awful. full quint just go and eat yeah. him fine <laughs> yeah is there another one i don't think so it feels like there's another one but just maybe there's that a... there's that chase scene that's really cool actually despite how bad the shark looks of of the the shark chasing michael underwater with um, him coming up without getting the bends like the uh, yeah. driver in Joe's too. I'm like, this is ridiculous. He should be in hospital now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but hmm, maybe that's it. But then again, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like quite a lot of stuff happens because when the people die, you can see a person inside the mouth of a shark and there's blood everywhere. Oh, oh no, I know there's two two sequences, dream sequences. Where Laura and Gary gets attacked by a shark. Oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that doesn't yeah, count technically. Yeah, there's like the, her her nightmares or whatever. And also, I just want to ask the sepia tone flashbacks. Fans, yay or nay? Um, <laughs> no. She's remembering shit she wasn't there for. Ex that's yeah. exactly my note. Yeah. Like, how does she know? <laughs> How Brody killed the shark? Did he tell her in exquisite detail what happened? Yeah, he's or like, yeah. "Here's my camera that I set up to." <laughs> he, he has a home movie of it. Like she has flashbacks to Sean's death, which I mean, she wasn't there yeah. for. Yeah, that's true. But then I can maybe understand. Maybe this is a meta film because maybe she she saw Jaws, and that's what she remembers. Just yeah, watching sure. the movie. Yeah. Well, we did. I mean, we did establish in Let's Jaws for a minute that Jaws is. A time travel film, so yeah, kind of is, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, because Alex yeah, Kidd, the uninitiated, might need a more, more yeah. so, information on uh, that. Chrissy Watkins is the first victim of the shark, and she dies on July first or second, nineteen seventy four. But then mm -hmm. Alex Kittner 
is the second victim of the shark, and his death date is listed as June 29th, 1974. So, Jaws is uh, time. Is this just the three days in the morgue or something like this? I don't know. No, because we see the death date on the coroner's report at the beginning of the film when he's filling oh, yeah, it out. So, maybe it's an administrative the, error. Sorry, the coroner's report. The coroner, yeah, that's right, because it's <laughs> spelled. It's the coroner's report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think they did it on purpose? Because it's Amity, so it's bu- it's a bunch of sort of dumbasses who don't know how to spell working in there. No, I think it was just an oversight <laughs> on some production assistant who didn't get paid enough to type, give a shit about typing it correctly. Like, write corners, report corners. That's what I heard. <laughs> this is so bad. Uh, but in, uh, I don't know. Not a fan of the sepia tone flashbacks either. No. They could go. However, what really sells the movie is Mario Van Peebles. Like we have to say, like he's just, he's just whoever told him was I, I, why? Why? What's going? <laughs> why is Mario Van Peebles in here doing an accent? Please, someone tell me. <laughs> they needed someone. They needed a Bahamian character. Yeah, and they were down south, so I, I guess it made sense to him at the time. I wonder if he brought that or if that was suggested or was even in the script, you know, if it was in the script that way. Cause his dad doesn't have that accent in the movie. Yeah, no, he's from LA, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Well, but in the, well, cause he's, so he's in the born movie with Mex- born in Mexico city city. Sorry. So he's yeah. but pretty Mexican. Cause Melvin, Melvin is in Jaws, the revenge as well. And he, doesn't really speak with an accent. I think he's the guy who dedicates the statue that uh, Michael's wife made. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great statue, by the way. I, I don't know. He's so over the top that he almost sells it to me. Like, he has these sort of aviator glasses with the most 80s sort of sunglasses. Sort of oh, yeah, the flip, the clip-on. Flip, flips, flip-on yeah. sunglasses. It's, he's so, and he has dreadlocks as well. He's like Gossett Jr. He just seems to be having fun. Yeah, I sort of I, like him in here. I like him in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I think he's great. He adds a ton of personality yeah. to it, I think. And he's, he's I don't know, I, I, don't, I like him, but it's just, it's so, it's so odd. Almost he's at odds with Michael so much as well. It's just, mm-hmm. or, or maybe it's just, maybe, maybe I'm seeing this wrong. Maybe just Michael's just too serious for the film he's in. I think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's closer to that. Because Michael Caine and, and Mario Van Peebles are having the time of their life in this movie. And then, I, mean, I suppose yeah. Lorraine Gary is also one of, the, one of the two ones who's just taking it seriously. We're concluding yeah. a trilogy in here, okay? Yeah. Like, I, like she has the telepathic connection to the shark. <laughs> Whatever the hell. Oh, yeah. She's got like sharky sense too. Like she can, she can tell when it's nearby, which is weird. And the way she con- con- conducts this, uh, she she just makes you aware of how she's. She just looks like she smelled a fart almost. She just <laughs> like like you know like there's a whiff of cabbage in here, and I don't know where it came from. And there's three people in the room, and no one's giggling. So it's just weird. <laughs> it's just yeah. This is her moment. She's, I find she's working pretty hard in this. And uh, like I say, I don't think it, I don't think she, she works for me, but there's a sort of a weird moment where maybe sort of exemplifies that sort of at the the tail end when uh, I think Hoagie, Michael Caine is, uh, he's emptying water because they're getting Mm -hmm. water in on the engine and he reaches back. No, 
turn turn the boat and he reaches back and she's supposed to be steering she's on the wheel and he reaches back and she's like no and she slaps his hand like, out <laughs> it's like he's having fun and getting into it and improving a bit and she's like no no this is, this is my moment i'm steering <laughs> like she's so serious in this and uh yeah god love her which weirdly and this was up, yeah go ahead well as you can say this is her last she didn't do a film after this did you i think this did she have to like i think at this point she could just sit down and say you know what i think we're done here (laughs) but but you know we just mentioned like in the end we gotta have to say like the one of the reasons one of the ways they each film tries to differentiate itself is by way they kill the shark it's like you have you have yeah. just you have shooting the the tank you have the electrical wire which is dumb but but boy is it is it fun like they just ruined a good shark in there just anyway uh you have jaws 3 which is effectively a rehash of the of the original with just the best scene of the jaws f- flying at the screen so good it's so good <laughs> Not sure if this if it's good, but just just the best. Like every single time it, it it just happens, I'm like, okay, this happens. And there's the fourth one. What do we feel about how they kill the shark in here? So just for reference, they what do they do? They, I don't even understand it. <laughs> they put like an electromagnetic receiver in the belly of the shark and then like flash it with electrical impulses, electromagnetic impulses, like it's a mm-hmm. sentinel from the Matrix. Yes. Uh, <laughs> To very quickly as well. They use an EMP on it, essentially. And this okay. makes it hurt. Makes it and, jump out of the water. It, yeah, until <laughs> it can get punctured by the front of the boat and explode. Right. Despite because it's a puffer fish. <laughs> not having any <laughs> explosives inside of it. <laughs> and then they can reuse the scene, the footage from Jaws where the uh, shark sinks to the bottom of the ocean. They didn't okay. reuse the sound, though, did they? Because there's not. the sound of the uh, dinosaur from The Lost World. Uh, it's, the, it's also in, in Duel. Duel. Yeah. yeah, but it's, it's the sound from the 1950... I thought it was from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Maybe Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, it, it, and I remember that it was a sound... Not Well, Duel used the sound from elsewhere yeah. and it just got... Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Spielberg was trying to be crafty. Yeah. Which, but they don't use the sound again. Uh, I wonder if Spielberg had it copyrighted. <laughs> Maybe uh, I don't know. Like weird stuff like that's been happening, like with um, John Williams' music mm-hmm. too. Because um, like if you look at this, like he's credited as writing the Jaws theme, obviously, throughout. But like I think they just used John Williams' recordings of the Jaws theme throughout all the movies, and then. With the most recent Obi-Wan show on Disney Plus, they like they weren't sure if they could get John Williams's music. So that's why they had like I think her name is Natalie Holt do a bunch of original music mm-hmm. for the show. And we didn't really hear like the Obi-Wan theme that much across the show. And like there's a rumor that they reused a lot of John Williams music in Rogue One and he didn't like it. So they made them pull like 75% of that music. So John Williams has his stuff on lock somehow, which I don't know Mm -hmm. how, like I feel like the studio owns that if you do work for a studio, but uh, I mean, maybe there's something in his contract or it's just like a out of respect type thing. I don't, I don't know what the sort of vagaries of contracting John Williams are, especially I would, I would assume that he has a lot of pull as well. 
yeah. how however like for something like rogue i mean that's something that i kind of thought about as well like you know rogue one oh, what's the guy's name michael giacchino yeah yeah i think so yep when he wrote music for rogue one i think the idea was okay well we can't get john williams to agree to to do certain things so how about you write something that's just about make you think oh is this is this the theme from from the original star wars oh and it's a bit different right so mm-hmm. you have i feel like even the original shark theme in the fourth one is like a few pitches up it's, it's not... slightly different four is the one where i think they didn't reuse the same recording it seems like they re-recorded mm-hmm. It, it, it sounds like it's re-recorded or maybe in a different key or something like that. It's very oddly different. And then the rest of the music, it's kind of like they hired Michael Giacchino to do this, to, yeah, do, this, to do that approximation. So the the guy who did it did Clute, uh, Michael something. Michael Small. Michael Small. Yeah, he did Clute, Marathon Man, and like one other really like, oh, Parallax View. Uh, um well, he did and? quite a lot of these of, of the drowning pool, child's uh-huh. play. He did quite a lot of like Pacula, uh, Sydney Lumet sort of films. Uh-huh. Walter Hill, he did like The Driver, he did. Oh, mm-hmm. look at that. Bob Ravelson, Bosman always rings twice. This guy has Arthur Penn, the guys he, he worked for. My goodness, yeah, yeah. And the score is pretty good, I think. I like the score to this movie a lot, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. It's, you kind of have to differentiate because it's, I like this quote to Jaws 4 because of course John Williams's music is kind of making making an appearance in there but I think the original bits are interesting I feel yeah. like no they're good um, yeah we were we were kind of looking it up and like it wasn't available commercially until 2015 the score for Jaws Jaws the Revenge what really yeah why is that uh, so they had originally they had planned a release for it and the movie tanked so bad in the public eye that they pulled the release but then when uh in 2000 when they re-released the jaws 3d score um that company also had the rights to uh jaws the revenge and so they released a promotional edition of it that was 27 minutes long and then in 2015 they did reissues of i think all four um films or all three of the sequels maybe and that's when they made it commercially available um, and they had access to everything. So the commercially available issue of the Jaws 4 soundtrack is every music cue from the movie in totality. And the promotional one is only half half of it. Wowee. So, I don't know. I, I feel like we're also kind of just slowly coming to an end as well. Sure. Here's a question for you guys. Does Jaws for the Revenge just almost it's not Jaws for it just does Jaws for Jaws the Revenge conclude the trilogy of Jaws? Does it, it does it does it work as a as a conclusion to a story or is this just like well, it it is what it is sort of situation and, and kind of like it or don't or don't like it. But does it would you would you see this as okay? Well, if the, if it's a series, at least at least it kind of works within the series. I don't see it as a series myself. Like really, it's. It's Jaws, and then there's these uh, other echoes, <laughs> these other things that are sort of tacked on the side of it that it's sort of dragging behind it, um, like three so, girls. <laughs> like the revenge, it, for what it is, it doesn't deserve the zero percent. 
but I completely appreciate the audience's allergic reaction to it because it's just so dumb of an idea, this yeah. idea that this shark is, you know, following them down the eastern seaboard to the Bahamas and there's this connection to it. It's yeah, it's it's pretty baked, but there's fun to be had in here. Like it's it's really stupid. I'm I'm not going to recommend this. I can't in good conscience, but but there's some what good stuff. What do you mean you can't it. recommend this? <laughs> because it's the the stupidity overrides <laughs> a lot of the rest of it for me. Like I appreciate where the audience is coming from, but I can see that there's some fun in it. I I do like uh, spending some time with Michael Caine, and you know some of the set pieces are fine. Like there's some there's some there's some joy in this and attention but it's pretty stupid and to to hang the whole thing on Lorraine Gary is like I don't know she's she's just the not the actress to me that can pull it off and I think we're so removed from the original now I'd have personally been happy with different casting um but that's that's my take just in terms of addressing the (laughs) idea of this being a series and is this a good a good capper to it um sure I, I still see this as jaws and a, a bunch of needless appendages but yeah i think as far as like a capper thematically jaws 2 is where that saga concludes if if it had to continue i think jaws 2 works as an ending if you have to give these people an ending um but yeah everything else is just kind of i don't want to say icing on the cake that's extremely strong language <laughs> um it, but it's just like, like you said, like extra appendages. It's like, um, <laughs> well, something we learned over the course of Let's Jaws for a Minute is that sharks have two penises. And that's what Jaws 3 and 4 are. To me. The two penises <laughs> on a shark. Yeah. The, they're called claspers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a life. What a life to live <laughs> as a shark. An ancient species. <laughs> Lives God knows how long and also has two do- two ding dongs. Oh, it's just so good. But yeah, you know what? I just feel like I appreciate it for what it is, especially in the context of the series, because the series is such a mess that the only thing that co- comes close to what a kind of a mess it is is Rocky as a series. But it, I like that it kind of looks like a fan fiction sort of fantasy scenario just made using, oh, look, look, let's just take the scraps of the original, put a sepia filter on it, and let's just reuse it because why the hell not? Right? Well, yeah, because they, they finished shooting at like June 5th or something, and it came out July 17th. Yeah, wow. and they even reshot the ending after the thing was out. So yeah. it's just, you know, let's just say they were on the clock. So, you know, like, good speed, yeah. good speed. Like, just, you know, good on you. Like, that, I'm going to say that this. And what I will also add is just this This is my newest revelation when I rewatched this this time. They could have held back on making the fourth one and wait 30 years. And this is the, the story behind this film. Like, in this film is a perfect legacy sequel. Uh-huh. Like, just get Ro- 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 Lorraine yeah. Gary when she's properly old yeah. and then kill Sean then. Or just... He yeah. should have died in Jaws too, but kill Michael and then have Lorraine deal with him, deal with him with the shark on its own and have it be the shark from the second one or like the son of the shark. <laughs> well, you know, you know, in the novelization that the shark is a descendant of the shark from the original, and it has had a really? it, it has had a voodoo curse put on it to track the Brodies. Oh god! Oh god! This makes it even better. <laughs> Maybe there needs to be a Jaws 5. 
There's a line in it where he's like, uh, oh, come on, mom, don't tell me you believe in that voodoo. And like, I guess whoever did the novelization. That's what it is. But Jaws is a very interesting as a franchise, just to look at the whole, because just going back to the idea, franchising and sequels and where do we go next? That just wasn't part of producers discussions back then like there was more to say with the godfather there's more to say with the characters in french connection this right. was completely uncharted territory so it sort of works in a way like as if not it doesn't work like these these films don't really work um but it sort of makes sense that what we get in the jaws franchise because there's sort of the first one out that is is capitalizing on the popularity of the first and capitalizing on the brand name and selling brand name alone so you get this frankenstein of a of a franchise where it's each each entry is complete reinvention in some sort so it's sort of interesting looking back i think it speaks to sort of the history of hollywood in a way um like we're looking at it through the eyes of a generation that has seen branding mature um mm -hmm. and we can look back and say this is ridiculous but you know, every time out, it was a different discussion and they were reinventing the wheel each time. So I sort of appreciate what we're looking at in all these films uh, from from that set, because it, it was new. It was new territory in the 80s and Rocky went through it a bit, too. And yeah, uh, yeah. But now we're just used to it. Like, I feel that um, there's OK, well, they were trying to reinvent this. I mean, I think they were trying to kind of tap into a formula and then try to regurgitate the formula a, a little bit with each passing sequel while just trying to call back and then find the sort of um, connective tissue between them. And the connective tissue was almost always extra textual. These sort of like, well, like how Brody pours himself a drink or how he doesn't know what's, what's a fish or what's a mammal because then Dennis Quaid being high on cocaine, he didn't know what, you know, that the orca is a, is a mammal and stuff like that. Right. But then there is this theme of, okay, maybe these sharks have it out for the Brodies for some goddamn reason. And then it just looks like, why, why are these, why are these people so unlucky that, you know, that these sharks are coming after them. And all of a sudden, like in the fourth one, they just leaned into it and just say, let's just call it their revenge. And yeah. let's just make, make it overt that this shark is not just, it's not a random act of violence. It's, it's probably Michael Myers style imprinted on these people and it's not going to stop until they are gone. Yeah. And it's personal. It's orca style. It's oh, know, yeah, that was, yeah, that was the, the, the tagline of uh, the movie was this time yeah. it's personal. This time it's personal. I mean, like it, it's ridiculous, but for me, this works. I'll just put it right out, out there. I'm a fan of this film. I love this movie. It's not gonna make it make it onto my top one thousand list, list anytime soon, or even if I actually could make it a one thousand list. Anyway, but the point I'm trying to make is, I really like how trash this movie is, and mm -hmm. I will hear no difference. So, <laughs> and so I'm in the same boat. I think it's the Jaws sequel I'm gonna revisit the most over the years. If I just there want you to watch go. A sequel, I think. I'm I think it's the most entertaining one. I think it's, which is crazy because I think nothing happens in the second act of this movie at all. Um, what second act? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just They're like, dancing it becomes, a little. yeah. How Ellen got her groove back. 
10 days after her son died. She's going, or, yeah, or 10 lies. days out, yeah, because she's still mourning and she's just, Hoagie, this, it's Hoagie's magic. Like, he just gave her some rum yeah. and they went street dancing and all of a sudden she's good. Yeah. Here's the question, and I think I know the answer, but I'll just throw it out there to hear the answer. Would you ever entertain a remake? I'm telling you, this is the legacy sequel that was they that they were supposed to this make that now. <laughs> yeah, we get asked this a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, but I have no power to stop it unless you I mean, guys remake of the first one like... or the fourth one. Remake of the original. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm sure it's going to happen after Spielberg dies. That's my that's my thing. I I, I think it's inevitable. So I've made my peace with it. I have my Dreamcast, but. I would feel they're probably more like they're more likely not to make a, a bona fide remake, but a stealth remake, a la like legacy sequel. With just let's get some of the old cast that's still that's still alive. Is Richard Dreyfus still kind of available? Just bring yeah. him back for this one scene, like oh, just he, do Ghostbusters Afterlife sort of situation. He, he reprises the role of Matt Hooper in Piranha Three Three D. That's right. He does. Very he well. does. Yeah. Uh, seeing singing the show me the way to go. Yeah. Home. Oh, really? I haven't seen Piranha 3D. I just and, know he's and oh, he, he just sings and, the song in a boat and he dies. <laughs> and awesome. he's got the same outfit as and he has the uh, what was it called? Same Canadian outfit tuxedo. as his, <laughs> as his the same outfit as his entrance in yeah. Uh, Jaws. Yeah, the, the, the taller hat and, the and he's Canadian drinking. Yeah. He's drinking Amity brand beer. Yeah, like it's, it's like it's difficult to miss. They're like, I think they're homaging Jaws in here. Like, seriously, <laughs> Susan? <laughs> yes, that's that's a great one. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. No, but I, I, I don't know. I seriously, seriously see not as another remake, but more of a like a legacy sequel. I'm not um, even sure if Spielberg would have to die for it. Yeah, well, I think it's kind of like the the Back to the Future remake or Back to the Future Four legacy sequel, like. You know, uh, oh my God, what's who? who? Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis. <laughs> I could not remember Zemeckis. Uh, Zemeckis like has said that not while he's alive is anyone touching Back to the Future for a fourth movie or a remake or anything. So, so does he have a contractual say I, and ownership I, on that, or is he, it largely? I, a I don't know. Respect I don't, thing. Yeah, I don't Cause, know. Because those are the types of brands that that built up the that built up the industry right in, mm-hmm. in the eighties. And I don't know, like the, the world is changing too. So you get streaming thrown into it and what's, what's the world of streaming versus uh, distribution going to look like, yeah. you know, maybe you go to back to the future for, you know, Amazon or Paramount plus or whatever studio that is. Yeah. Well, and it, it, the other complicated wrench is that in 2018 Spielberg said that he might entertain the idea of doing a prequel to jaws uh on the indianapolis ooh. with the young i was gonna say ooh, indianapolis is that the one with <laughs> nicholas cage not the one <laughs> um but i guess so shaw's grandson um who was artemis fowl in that artemis fowl movie that came oh. out he said oh, he right. wanted to play young Quinn. <laughs> yeah that's how i learned about that too uh um, holy wow. both really yeah wow. ferdia Ferdi shaw this I don't is know. You, you don't need to bring him back in this, yeah. in this industry. You don't need to Gandolfini that. No. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, with Back to the Future, I, I want to say, like, of the two, just I know this is a tangent, but at least they have a reason to actually. I mean, well, 
I, I think we would have to wait until like there's there's a good cure for Parkinson's that or just some kind of a treatment for Parkinson's that would allow Michael J. Fox to actually function a bit better. But there, like, he's he would be the right age to just be a Marty from the future because mm-hmm. he's just old. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's just so happens that he's well. He's not doing well. It's just been that way, right? Anyway, on that note, I think it's time. And by the way, before we do this top fives, can we just quickly rank these sequels? Like, just disregard the Orca, just the Jaws sequels in general. I suppose we all kind of just agree just Jaws goes on the top anyway, but just like if top to bottom, yep. just, you know, Jaws sequels. Uh, MJ, would you want to go first? Yeah, we just did this on our Jaws 4 episode, or Jaws the Revenge episode as well. And, uh, I am gonna get canceled. It is reverse release order, so it's four three two for me. Oh wow. nice. Okay. Uh, for me, I will just throw the comment out there. I I prefer Orca to any of these, so that was the time if we had Scandalous. Four. I, I actually agree yeah. with you on that. <laughs> okay. Would you? Well, I mean Orca's a bit different. I don't know. It's it's different though, but so yeah, but I'll I'll just throw that out there and then I'll throw it away altogether. My ranking is uh Jaws 2, then The Revenge, then Jaws 3. Oh, I'm with MJ on this. 4, 3, 2. All day, yeah. all day every day. <laughs> all day, every day. It's so good. The whole, the whole series is so goddamn just miraculous. Like, I don't, like, you, like you look at these films, like, how did they come together? No idea, but I'm happy I have them. <laughs> but so. of the four we reviewed today, I think the one, the one of the four I will revisit the most is Orca, but the, the Jaws sequel I will revisit the most is... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Orca is interesting. Orca, I think I have I have to kind of wean myself onto it a, a little bit because you know it's been like three decades since since I saw it last time, pro- almost three decades. And uh, you know, anyway, I think it's time. Let's do our top five moments from Jaws sequels and Orca. MG, do you want? Do you have? If you have any honorable mentions, now's also the time. Like we rarely limit ourselves to five or three or whatever we're doing. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, f- um, are, am I doing worst first? Best. Best first. Okay. So honorable mention in best is Michael Caine in Vacation Mode and Jaws the Revenge. Nice. <laughs> uh, uh, number five is Killing Sean in Jaws the Revenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, because of how stupid it is, I feel like I need to preface, is anytime they used 3D. Uh <laughs> In Jaws, in Jaws 3D. 3D. And made me laugh every time. Like, the fish head at the beginning is hilarious. The arm is hilarious. The jaws, the titular jaws at the end are hilarious. The non-moving shark breaking the glass is hilarious. It makes me laugh every time. It's so funny. Uh, number three is the music across all four movies. I like all the scores to all of these movies. Uh, number two... Um, is Leah Thompson in a bikini in Jaws 3. Nice. <laughs> and number one is the Orca Tail Yeet from the end of... Perfect. Mm-hmm. Randy, your All time. All right. An honorable mention is going to go out to uh, Louis Gossett Jr. in Jaws 3D, just in general. He's got a wacky enthusiasm that I like, uh, and just the way he delivers some of his lines. Bouchard is here. And he get, especially when he gets on the mic every time yeah. he gets on oh, that yeah, stupid that's, PA that's, mic may I please have your attention like he's, he just loves being on that mic loves being the man in charge start those pumps 
seal the doors. Like, it's great. <laughs> he's not great, but he's great. Like he's, okay. uh, <laughs> from the hood. And he won an Oscar, was it was it that year too? Like, that was the year of his Oscar, if I'm not mistaken. Was it really? The year he received it, yeah. What so he and Kane are very similar. He's an officer and a gentleman when he's an Oscar Oh, winner. right, of course. So it, it might have been the year he got his Oscar as well, or maybe Officer and a Gentleman came out the same year. Anyway, right around the same time. He and Kane had that in common. Um, number five from Orca, the score, especially during the opening. I really like the opening. Um, I don't find it a memorable score per se, but I thought it was thought it was really effective, especially mm-hmm. with a lot of the nature photography in, in the opening and showing the orcas and the family of whales and or the pod of whales thought that was really good. Um, and also in the scene where the male is pushing the body and you've got the whole pod mm-hmm. um, sort of in tow, thought the music was really strong there and actually works to make the killer whale a character. Sort of, sort of, sort of a weird concept, but it sort of works on its own terms. Um, in number four, uh, Jaws 2, it's sort of a, it's just the choice to have all these sailboats uh, being attacked as the final set piece i love that there's seven boats i mentioned this earlier i don't like that there's so many kids to keep track of um you know i don't particularly like any of the kids although um uh, keith gordon is there this is his his first role and he becomes a pretty uh cool guy in the film industry in a way like christine i know yeah could you like christine and he's with like Roy it's Sh- one of my favorite yes. films of all time there you go but he also shows like up with Roy Christine. Scheider again. He plays young Roy Scheider in sure. All That Jazz. In yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. So, I didn't realize that. And so, his yeah. hair, and his hair in this film. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's a fan of The Cure. I'm gonna say this. <laughs> he's the one who does the, the, is it the Churchill impression or yeah. something? I think. He is, yeah. Oh, is so he anyway, this is also Final Shower. And is he the one? No, he's not the yeah, one who's just hour. commenting on people's sparrow tits. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've always one. sort of liked Keith Gordon. And he becomes a pretty cool TV director, I think, in sort of recent years. But anyway, I don't like all the kids, but I like the dynamic of having so many boats in that scene. And they drift apart and they have to tie them together and they rip different ways. And that to me is sort of cool. The film manages the logistics and dynamics of that quite well and create some interesting sort of physical scenarios. So that's my number four. Number three from Jaws 3D. I like the shark and the dolphin chase. I like that that turns that into sort of a weird 80s car chase type of moment where mm-hmm. the the dolphins and the, the shark are, uh, are in a chase. I sort of like that just sort of as a concept. Um, number two from Orca. The killer whale leaning on the ice drift, which causes Harris to slide down. I think that's just a really weird visual. I don't really like the overall set. It's so weird, just these towers of ice. But in the middle of it, that's sort of a really cool, interesting moment. The whale looks good. Um, so that's my number two. And number one from Orca, the scene where the the boat goes out. Uh, what was the boat? The Bumpo. So Harris and his crew go out. And they are, they're whaling and they capture the female, the harpoon uh, strikes the male and it winds out and it's just a really tense scene and there's a lot going on. And Harris is really good in that scene. The edit is really good and dynamic. You combine, you know, the fake fins, the ocean footage, the marine world animals. And then you've got this weird moment too, where one of the whales tries, I think it's the, 
think it's the female, tries to kill itself and rams itself into the propeller. Just really mm-hmm. great, tense stuff. I, I, I really like that moment. Very interesting. Awesome. So uh, for me, um, a bit of a shout out. <sighs> where, is, where is my list? Hold on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shout out to the guy shouting governor. It's just governor. Are you governor? It's just so great. Okay, so number five from Orca. Uh, in that scene that you just mentioned, just the the image of Richard Harris on the deck of Bumpo with the sort of locking eyes with with the Orca imprinting on him. It's just a good image. I like this image. And by the way, by the way, did you mention that Keith Gordon wasn't dressed to kill? No, forgot. But he is. Yep. Yeah, he's the uh, yep. young brand Palmer. That's right. <laughs> Spying on his dad. Anyway, <clears throat> so that was number five. Number four, uh, that's from Jaws two. This there is a scene. I think it's when when they're when Sean's they're trying to get Sean to the other boat. I think it's Sean. They're trying to get him to the other boat, and the shark comes in, comes out of the water, and just swipes, just barely just misses the person, and. And opens his mouth, and I don't mind that you can see like a steel strut in the mouth, <laughs> and it's just because it's clearly made of plastic. And but the scene is just great for me; I really like it. Uh, so that was number that was number five. Is that number five? Yeah. Uh, number yeah that, no that was number four. Number three. Uh, number three. That's from 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 Jaws three. I really like. The shark POV coming at the restaurant where they're having a conversation and you can't see anything and they're like, "Look, <laughs> it's so great." And then the the number two is um, the um, Mario Van Peebles putting the uh, the device in the mouth and then just edit and ending up being being bitten and in the mouth and then there's just blood everywhere and the shark's in on full display it's just he just like nests himself in the mouth of the shark and disappears it's great and number one hands down the roaring shark in jaws 4 just to put it just to put a stamp on this i don't know why but i enjoy when you know michael goes like this these like <laughs> and just goes and just the shark goes brilliant cinema this is kino is what it is anyway, so shark, the shark roars in all four of them the, in, we're gonna get to a to a roaring that's not so formidable just just put it that way okay. Draw, no, just, uh, <laughs> bottom bottom five moments i'm not gonna prejudge i'm not gonna prejudge bottom five moments mj indulge uh... Number five, those damn screaming kids from Jaws 2. Oh, God. <laughs> the screaming at the end of that movie is so, it's so much. Um, all, slash, kind of tied with that kid who says, anybody want to play charades? I hate that line <laughs> for some reason. It really gets under my skin. Um, number four is in Jaws 3, and it's just whatever Dennis Quaid is doing, uh, which is cocaine, I guess. Um, <laughs> He's really bad in that movie. Um, number three is also from Jaws 2, and it is how they tried to give Shider his smile, you son of a bitch, and they replaced it with, come on, you bastards, say ah. So yeah. bad. Such, such a downgrade in line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two is the yellow barrel planter in Jaws 2. Um, nice. 
really awful. Uh, and number one is the entire middle of Jaws the Revenge, like once they get to the Bahamas and just kill time until the end, like it's so boring. <laughs> I like that movie, but so we don't boring. need to learn about Michael's wife's preoccupation with, in I don't know, modern art. Yeah, I've never made love to an angry welder before. <laughs> a real line in that movie. Yeah. Wow, we, Randy. Yeah, can't can't disagree with those. Dishonorable mention from me to all of the voiceovers in Orca. I mm. find that every time that there was exposition that might have been useful to teach me about the killer whale. They gave Charlotte Rampling a scene with dialogue. She's yep. a teacher and giving giving a lesson or she's telling Richard Harris directly. Great. But there's these voiceovers which tell me, oh, the locals are mad at Richard Harris. Oh, Richard Harris started hanging out with me and now he's reading books. Needless, stupid. Like they don't they don't do anything. They stand out as awkward anyway. So they gotta go. So number five. Yeah, and Jaws 2, the scene with the exploding boat, the mom who's drenching herself in gas. <laughs> yep. a little bit, it's a little bit weird, a little bit excessive. And I don't know, to me, so Brody's investigating that. Why is he going all shark-spicious by looking at the exploding boat? Is there anything in an exploding boat that would make him suspicious, suspect shark was, was involved? I don't know. It just the whole thing sort of was a little weird to me. Number... Four from Orca. Yeah, the setting of the finale. So you've got these uh, geography <laughs> the name drops. Solitude. <laughs> yeah, you've got all these name drops. So as a, an Atlantic Canadian, you know, the Strait of Belle Isle and all these little communities, I'm looking on the map. Oh, this is neat. This is neat. They're going here. So I think they're going to the Canadian Arctic or around Quebec to Hudson Bay. Nope, they're going to the Fortress of Solitude, some weird ice <laughs> castle. And it and again, like the orca effects look so good, but they can't make ice look good. So, so that's my four. Number three, the underwater kingdom in Jaws three. <laughs> this just looks so ridiculous. Like something. This is nineteen fifties. Come on, just get on. Get on. No, it's nineteen eighties. <laughs> they're no, they're just. It's the fifties. They're getting ideas. Get <laughs> no, well, that could be that I don't get it. But <laughs> what I am getting, what I am seeing, just doesn't fit. Doesn't look right at all um number two from jaws revenge every time lorraine gary looks sternly into the horizon and seems to get some sort of a signal some sort of a kinetic link uh psycho link psychic link to the shark i'm like this is she's treating this way too seriously if she had not taken this seriously if she had had fun I, I might have been more on board with this, but that just... Do you think yep. Joseph Sargent was giving her laxatives? So, just... <laughs> I don't think she quite has that look. You know? well, she's got all white at the end and it's not stained, so it's fine. <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, yeah, it's, the it's not John Boyd. White, white, white jeans is always something that just escapes me anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's not John Voight's pained looking anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> um, you need more fiber john that's what you need <laughs> um and from jaws 3 we talked about this a little bit my number one is the blowing up of the shark at the end and it's just this awkward shot after shot of the unchewed unswallowed what's his name 
Ritz. Fitzrace? Fitzrace? Fitzrace. Unchewed, unswallowed, dead, and he's got his hand hanging out of the shark's mouth, basically within reach. So it'd be like someone going and his spaghetti hanging out of their mouth, this unchewed, unfinished food hanging out of the mouth. And then you have two or three shots of Dennis Quaid, I think it is, in the scoop gear, trying to hook this yeah. you know available hard it is to do this on cocaine, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and true that may be, this is just all kinds of stupid that I can't get behind. But anyway, that's right. my number one, the demise of the shark in Jaws 3. Nice. This is... This is gonna be okay. I need to make a few last-minute substitutions because I okay. Because I also had the uh, what I have is the hysterical woman letting it rip in Jaws too. Just <laughs> just like shut up. Just but so that's an honorable mention. Also, an honorable mention was gonna go to the woman who's just lighting herself on fire, clearly in protest. <laughs> just uh, um, okay. So we haven't mentioned this number five. Mrs. Kintner is making a cameo. Mm. appearance in yeah. Jaws 4 and I'm just thinking Jaws is she 4. on good terms with, with the Brodies now after slapping Chief Brody so many years ago <laughs> for, and then I feel like if you live in a community that small you've you either got to she... make up or, or it's going to be Maybe. rough for a long is that time. the same actress I was wondering yeah, that that's mm-hmm. the same okay. actress yeah they so. got the same actress for Mrs. Taft as well too I think Cause I, I clued in because I had the subtitles on and it said Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Kittner <laughs> That's how I clued in. Number four, the roaring shark in Jaws 3D. Like we touched on this in Anaconda when they have roaring snakes, and snakes roaring underwater should all only gurgle. And I have a thing that the shark roaring underwater should also be. <laughs> should, you know, just saying. This is just weird. Yeah, at least the shark in Jaws in Jaws one has the common decency to roar outside of the water, I guess. Right. And the orca too. Yeah. What I have is a slash, so two ex equo kissing scenes. A guy kissing Sean in Jaws two, like nah, nah. and then in Jaws three, I think it's it's Bess Armstrong just kissing Dennis Quaid like a mum. <laughs> like <laughs> Just, have a good day at work dear yeah just wow <laughs> so so there's that uh number two i think i'm down to number two uh so so number two i've got the roaring orca and jaws <laughs> just, I, can't, I can't i can't like there's only one roaring shark for me and it's in jaws 4 i can't and um in jaws 3 uh the what I call the suspenseful reemergence of the dolphin. Like the whole thing comes to an end. Like I, I can even forgive the jaws shooting at the screen. And now we're spending three and a half minutes in suspense because we have to find out if the dolphin's alive. And it comes back alive and it's like, yeah, it's like free willy. It's just what's going on. <laughs> it's just. It's just bad. Anyway, so I think we've done it. So Joe's sequels and Orca, I think they're kind of avail- they're available to be rented or purchased from the usual vendors online. Yeah. And then they're o- I'm I'm not sure about Orca, but at least the Joe's sequels are available as a Blu-ray release. So there is plenty of ways you can see them, and sometimes they kind of pop up on streaming services. So you could be lucky to and watch it, watch them for free. 
you know, and then they can live rent free in your lives, in your in your in your brains. At least in at least Jaws four should live rent free in your in in your mind. Anyway, so I think Orca we've done it. is available on Blu-ray, and it has the greatest Blu-ray cover I've ever seen. Is it just Region One? Or I'm not, I'm not sure. sure. Oh, so uh, yeah, okay, so it is available on Blu-ray. There you go. And, oh, could you imagine the isolated score from on and oh, mm, anyway. <sighs> that's it we've done it uh so quick socials so mj tell us where you can find where we can find you your work and your other stuff give us a plug yeah uh so at mj smith 891 on twitter is probably the best place to find me um it's the social media i use the most i have a link tree in my bio there um for the two shows i host i host let's draw for a minute with sarah who couldn't be here today um we, currently we are finishing up uh individual episodes on each of the jaws sequels so if you want to hear me talk at length about the jaws sequels uh those are available and then we will be setting sail into the filmography of steven spielberg um so our first spielberg season is going to be duel through hook um and then we'll see where we go from there my other podcast is called Real Perspective. It's R-E-E-L Perspective. And uh, at time of recording, I don't know when this will be out. but Next at time Friday. Of, oh, okay. Then, yeah, <clears throat> at time of recording, you can hear Sarah on that podcast as well talking about Stranger Things Season 4. That show is just like current release movies and TV reviews. Mm-hmm. By the way, that Orca the Killer Whale Blu-ray cover is just ridiculous. It's the best. It's so great. <laughs> I want that as a poster. It's almost smiling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It looks <laughs> so happy. Because you know, was it? Someone told me this. Like, delf, dolphins, they look, they look dodgy. They always look like they're up to something. You yeah. Know? <laughs> they're always smiling. Anyway, I strongly suggest everyone you listen to uh, to Les just for a minute. It's one of the best podcasts out there. I'm not even kidding. This is great, great stuff. Thank you. Uh, and Randy, where can we find your stuff? You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Brad7. And every once in a while, I will write an article that you will find on clapperltd.co.uk. And uh, awesome. You can find me, talk about film on Twitter, Jakob Flash on Letterboxd. You can find my stuff, flashonfilm.com, also on clapperltd.co.uk. Also, follow the show at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere, which is Twitter, Instagram, tiktok facebook i think so also head over to our website uncutgemspodcast.com to kind of browse through all our previous episodes in an easier format i suppose and that also includes all our bonus recordings that are available on our patreon patreon.com slash uncutgemspod three bucks a month is what gets you hooked on extra podcasts and i think at this point we have like 20 of them in there so there's that you can also if you don't feel like supporting us with your uh, ongoing contributions, you can also buy us a coffee. Coffee.com slash uncutgemspod is where you can do that. Or you can always f- leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that also helps us a lot develop our audience because we're a very niche place. We're a very niche podcast. So every soul listening to us ramble about cool old movies and garbage sequels from the 80s that are absolutely great, by the way, is, you know... It is a treasure. So we treasure every single new listener that kind of comes our, uh, comes our way. Anyway, that's it for today. And um, I'll say this, that Animal Attack Summer has come to an end. And I think 
I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say this has been planned, but the way it's gonna be released, I think Shark Week is gonna be just about starting. <laughs> so it's I'm, I'll be honest with you, it's completely coincidental. Um, so that's coming to an end, and then next week we're gonna be just doing an and one-off episode, and we'll be talking about Deep Impact. So get ready for some disasters. Anyway, so that's it for now. See you next week. Bye bye. Jakob, I don't know if you can hear this. I am currently driving, so I do apologize. I'm driving all the way from Ipswich, but he's hounded me to talk about Jaws, the sequels. So let's talk about Jaws 2. Um, look, I'm not gonna lie. For you saying we had to watch this, it was never gonna be easy because nothing is gonna live up to the Spielberg classic that defined not only the creature feature, but ultimately become the definitive shark feature. So I have seen this, I watched it quite soon after I watched the, the initial um, uh, franchise starter, back when I was a, a lot younger. Um, I've always had sort of reservations about going back and watching it, um, purely for the uh, things I, I, I presented um, in my first opening gambit. Um, I'm I'm surprised and pleasantly surprised to state that I actually greatly enjoyed this film. Now, first things first, it's not a Spielberg classic, and the film does attempt to balance a Spielbergism and whatever Jaws 2 is going to be, and the balance is evidently clear throughout. There are homages, there are sequences where this feels like a Spielberg-like um, inspiration, and to be honest, as a positive, because it has connective tissue, and anyone who watches the first film can jump into this, and it feels like that there's that aesthetic, cinematic, thematic connection. So on the surface, that's all well and good. And then the director chooses to implement some strange, albeit on-the-nose decisions through his choice of how he shoots the film. Notable examples of when Brody opens fire on the beach, and his son's starting collecting the bullets, it's a clear, clear inspiration from that infamous scene with um, the young kid at the, t at the dinner table in the first film. Uh, they, they rhyme and reason non-stop. Um, that being said, watching this as a character, character study, especially on Snyder's uh, Broder, was incredibly fascinating. It was like watching a different type of film where it felt that we were watching a man who was led by his head and his heart in a, in, a, in, a, in a town where nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. And be, to, reading between the lines, the shark is in this a lot more purely because why hide the shark when everyone knows what Jaws is? Everyone going to see this film knows there's going to be a shark in it. So the decision to, to, to showcase the shark at every opportunity is not really a bigger issue for me. Um, granted, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but how he exercises, this is the director and the screwmaster here, exercises the right to look at Brody as a character and explore that, his relationship with his kids, exploration with his wife, but more like an internal battle of just a man trying to cope with hoping, hoping to God that he's wrong. 
And it was interesting. It was like watching a different a, a different film for the first time. Really, really was interesting. It, it, it was. I mean, Roy Schneider can act. He's weirdly um, feels like he's on the ball here, even though again reading between the lines and the uh, uh, production history, he hated doing this film. I think he puts a really good uh, forward, um, excuse me, performance forward. Um, he's always engaging, but I think that's obviously his natural ability to act. Um, but the family dynamic held a bit more, focusing on the children aspect of it, folks on this this more intimate town. It feels like a really good connective tissue to its predecessor. Granted, where, where I started to lose the plot here, and ironically enough, is where the film starts to lose itself, is how it exercises the right to showcase the shark. Now, Spielberg's motif is to minimalize that and create larger impact. It works, it's iconic, but second time around, as I previously mentioned, everybody knows what's coming. Everyone knows what this thing looks like. Everybody knows when the soundtrack comes and that infamous musical sequence by John, uh, John Williams rises. Everybody knows what's about to occur, everybody. So again, seeing the shark's not an issue, but how they execute sort of set pieces in here genuinely is, is, is abysmal. The, the boat setting a, a blaze where it just explodes. I mean, there are so much more simplistic ways to be effective there. Now, I don't know if that's a product of its era, but it feels more so like that with how the director chooses to slowly and passionately write these characters to explore this family dynamic. Then you have this oxymoronic relationship where these set pieces, this, this, this action, if, if that's what we want to call it, feels heightened to a point where it's almost ridiculous. And it's the one aspect of the film where, looking back, I sort of, when you're when you're younger, you sort of appreciate those moments more because it, there's more going on screen. You know, there's all oh, there's action, there's, there's there's fire, there's atmosphere. But when you look at it more of a sort of an adult um, experience, especially in a cinematic form, when we're, when we're analysing um, and, and trying to discuss it, um, it's the least um, least impacting result of the film. I mean, it, it's quite frankly terrible. I mean. If, if Jaws 2, you know, had like a subtitle like, I don't know, like The Revenge, which we'll get onto very soon, I'm sure, is this, this would be Jaws 2, anti-climax, you know? It is just so abysmally boring when it gets to its end because you've got that, you've got such a powerful um, climax to the first film. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, right, we're never going to be able to touch upon the sort of cinematic quality of that first film. We're just we're just not going to do it. The gore is, is 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 touched down enormously here as well, which I think is is one thing that the film sort of doesn't really um, explore enough. You know, we're meant to sort of find this shark intimidating. We know it's we know these animals are monstrous by by the first film's qualities. Here, not so much, but we get these sort of overindulged set pieces to make sure the shark is frightening. It's a monster, but then. We, we we get to a set piece with these children, these kids, these teenagers. I can call them the children, these teenagers, should I say? You know, we're watching them, and it's a brilliant set piece where it feels weighted that we can't see the shark. There's atmosphere, there's tension. They're all in these boats. There's a wonderful shot where the where the kid is like turning around. He's so scared, and they're trying to pull him in, trying to pull him in. And the guy, the guy raises his voice at Michael's friend, and he shouts at him, and he turns around. Really good little intimate sequences where from we see this young kid's perspective and you feel that emotion, you feel that desperation. We understand that we don't have to see this monster to realise of how frightening this, this being can be. Especially with the, the, the young girl who sees her boyfriend um, get eaten alive and, and, 
that that shot lingers on the side of the boat and she, and she she trembles and she's speaking to stuff like really great sequences that the first film didn't necessarily have whereas this one finds intimacy finds that emotional core but the film has no idea what to do with the shark and how it then results with with the electrical cables i just think this i get granted you're not going to be able to sort of go and do a round 2 with how they finish off the shark the first time but it feels like to 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 to, to use electrical cables I don't know, like, it, it feels wildly sort of inappropriate to, to, to be climactic, especially when there's a sequence beforehand where Broadays is, is, is trying to get into the sea when he sees this charred-up piece of boat, and, and, and we watch it, and, and the shot pans back, and we see this wide shot, and it gives us the impression that Brody's not too um, sure about getting in that water. He knows what's out there, or maybe he doesn't. His mind's playing tricks on him. And we get there, and, we, and, and, he, and he sort of... You think that he's plucking up the courage, and... I think the film doesn't sort of imply that, but I think you can you can get that from the image on screen. He gets in the water and we find the charred body. It's like the perfect example of what this film really is, is that you have a really good set piece, you have a really good idea of what's going to happen, but the ending of such is just so anticlimactic and, and overindulges on, on the action per se, where it wants to sort of freak you out, it wants to, it wants to frighten you or, or, or excite in a way. And really, the intimacy of the film does that in its own self. So this feels like there's a really strange balance here uh, of, of theme where 90% of it's really interesting, but the 10% execution just feels way off. I mean, you don't have a Robert Shaw, you don't have a Richard Dreyfuss. There's there's nothing to sort of feel secondary to, to Roy Schneider's uh, performance. And I think that's one thing where you don't get anything out of him. He has to lead this film. Um, and again, as I mentioned before, he does a really good job at it. But there doesn't feel like there's anything for him to sort of look at or, or respond to and, and elicit more of a strong emotion where there's no nothing to doubt his expertise, you know. The audience know the sharks there and he knows the sharks there. So when he's battling this, this, this uh, you know, the town hall meetings and these people of authority, it just feels like it's wasted momentum where we could sort of inject, a, um, you know, an idea of, you know, perhaps Brody isn't, thinking straight perhaps this is this is more emotion granted it becomes a very different film then because it's jaws question mark you know jaws <coughs> excuse me it's jaws 2 the anti-climax question mark you know or maybe that's that's a different uh parody film that um someone else made i don't know i don't want to get into that um but that's my thoughts on jaws 2 looking back on it it felt a really interesting experiment and i think for the for 80 percent of it i think it's a very good quality film uh, it focuses more, uh, wild enough on character, um, really engaging. It, it, again, granted, it, it, it builds upon the foundation um, of, of its predecessor. And without that, obviously, you don't get um, the intimacy and, and the experience and the atmosphere and the tension, no doubt, of, of these characters having to go through go through this again. But it felt like an, an hour and 52 minutes. There's a lot more they could have squeezed in. I mean, we could have a lot more of the issues with an Amity, Amityville, <laughs> in, in Amity, the Amity town, where we could find out, you know, how this, you know, this town has coped after a shark attack. I mean, fuck me, it'd be a, it'd be a ghost town now. So, I mean, granted, like it would have been interesting in the, in the first film as like a layer of corruption in the novel, um, which which is sort of implied in the first film, and here it's more so like. There's an investment here. I would like to have seen more of that. I think it's more more such of a character study where 
things are on edge. They don't want to shut the beaches in the first film because of money. They don't want to shut the beaches here because there's an investment again of $1,500, which back then must have been like a million dollars because it's it's basically just rent um, in any major city in, in America now. Um, so it feels like there's definitely a positives and negatives to take out of it. Um, I don't want to, I, I'm trying to make it sound like an art house piece. I don't think it has to be. But I think for what it is, trying to go into the steps of a Spielbergism, I think the director does a fa like, quite a fascinating job with it. Again, there is an issue of how anticlimactic the whole thing is. There's not enough uh, pieces of cinema underwater. Um, granted that you see the shark a lot more, but you just don't get that sort of exhilarating notion of like, wow, like this, this is this is a, a a great white shark. They do try and do that with with the uh, when the the killer whale or the orca, whatever the fuck it is, lands on the beach and they're measuring the, the jaws. Oh my God, they said it. Um, you know, and, and, and it's large uh, mouth span. Um, but again, you, I just, I never felt that momentum of it. And then when you get to the end, when they simply electrify, <laughs> electrocute it, you just think, ah, oh, I don't know, like maybe that needed another pass in the writer's room. Um, but again, looking back on it, I think it's a really good achievement for like the silly sequels that they made. And the 1970s and 80s. I mean, look at The Exorcist 2. Uh, this just shits all over that. Like, The, Ex the Exorcist 2 uh, um, is, is a, an absolute pile of shite. And when you look at something like Jaws 2, I think it deserves to have a, a far more greater appreciation considering what's next. But there, that's my thoughts on uh, Jaws 2. I hope everyone liked it like I did, but I doubt people do. Right, that's Jaws 2, Jakob. Right, I'm going to do Jaws 3, and then I'm going to do the revenge um later on um, i didn't get to see orca because i'm i work full time and you've already got fucking three films out of me so jaws three so ironically enough i saw this film after i saw the fourth one this took me ages to watch um i don't know why cause it's always in the box sets but i never really bought them i think everybody knows that the sequels are trash therefore there was no one in my family that wanted to sort of go out there and buy it or have the means to watch it. I remember on holiday once when I was really younger, someone mentioned that there was a third film, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's got um, it's got like um, um, you know, Mike Michael Caine in it." And they're like, "No, no, no, it's it's set in um in like a theme park." <clears throat> and I said, "What?" They're like, "Yeah, Jaws 3D." I'm like, "No, no, it must be new." I'm like, "No, no, 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 like it's set in um in, a, in like a park." I was like, "Oh my god!" And then I, I again, I I get I didn't think anything of it. And I was doing a marathon a few years, uh, a few years ago. I was like, I haven't seen Jaws 3, let's crack it on. Um, and yeah, um, that's about as good as I can, I can give it. Uh, this is like a classic, like 1980s, diving down to the well, thinking that you're going to get gold and you, you bring up just mummified shit. Um, you know, you think you're drilling for oil and, you, you, you know, you've just got shit. <laughs> uh, I... There's there's an idea here where I think it's actually quite a compelling and interesting sort of um, look into into what you can do with the shark film where you have to turn your brain off to a certain degree where there's just no cells ticking over on this like you've got to you've got to dumb it down to to a point where anything can't make sense and it doesn't how the fuck this thing gets in there how it can move about. I mean, like, what? You know, like, it's all just really... And the idea to, like, 3D, it just feels like a, a blatant idea to do a cash grab. Um, and, you know, there's Leah Thompson in there, there's Dennis Quaid. It's a film that, again, 
but has two qualities of it that people will go back for those two um, performers. Um, I don't know who out there is a massive Leah Thompson or Dennis Quaid fan. I'm sure they're out there and, and go to uh, fan clubs all the time. I bet those are, th- are thriving. Um, but there is sort of a, like a layer of like, like an 80s niche um, horror film and it has the Jaws uh, titular um, character arc as well. So I suppose there's, there's a reason why people will go back to this. But watching it is just like overly stupid. It feels like what we watched of Piranha, where this actually feels the parody. This got to a point where it saw itself become the villain. You watch certain parts of this and it feels like people are not trying to replicate the first two. People are trying to trying to sort of maybe tone deftly try to like replicate it in a way and then it comes off like so unironic and it becomes it becomes like almost to a point of ridiculous parody. Like specifically when they're doing the, the skiing on 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 the water, and you see and you just think like, it just feels like there's no there's no sort of idea of, con- first of all consequence in this because you know everyone's gonna fucking die and you're not you're not attached to any character anywhere, um because nothing there is fulfilled because you don't have that longevity and granted that, that that's the reason why Jaws two managed to have that uh, character study because you have that connection here. They do dive off and go to a different part of uh, this world, let's say, for for different types of uh, characters to explore. And I do appreciate that. It was time to do that, I think. Um, all, although, in hindsight, I think they should have made a trilogy, one, two, and three, and then call it a day, um, and have the Brodies be the central aspect of it. Um, but here, I appreciate there was, there was an attempt to do something new. It's just that that attempt is so left field and so far against the moniker of what Jaws should have been that it just feels like someone was like taking a shit on the franchise almost. It feels like such a, uh, not like a, um, a Ryan Johnson thing where we can we can manipulate this and we, we, we can um, turn this on its head and we can deliver this to being something you think you know, but really we're, we're going we're gonna to showcase you something different. <clears throat> and and I, I appreciate something like that, but this doesn't feel like it accomplishes that. This feels like it was in a boardroom at Universal and someone said, what can we just throw out for an 80s horror flick because Friday the 13th have done it. They've made a killing in the 3D market. Um, let's do something. Let's just let's just do something. Oh, why do we do Jaws? You know, Spielberg doesn't give a shit. He's doing Raiders. Or he's doing, he's doing um, Temple of Doom. Let's just do Jaws. We can make something really cheap out of it. And that's what they did. And I think the set pieces in here that are abysmally crafted. There's a sequence and... and I swear to God, like it's one that echoes in my brain. Like it feels like a dream where you like you're running, and like there's something happening in front of you, but you can't run quick enough. When they're in the um, the tank, or when they're in the uh, the actual like park, and there's the the massive glass pane window and it's cracking, and the shark is just swimming slowly to it. Someone thought they were trying to elicit a, a sort of theme of tension there, an atmosphere. This shark. Is 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 heading for this window? It, oh, this 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 window. Sorry, and it's gonna break it, and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be ten's gonna fill up. It's gonna kill everyone. Oh my god! But it's so poorly executed where it just lingers, and lingers, and lingers, and this thing feels like it's dying, and it's just it's just drifting. There's just absolutely no tension. There's no dynamic creation of how the set piece is created here. It's lackluster. It's boring, and you're just going through it and just thinking like. If this was going to be sort of a B-mover and we were going to sort of kill people off, at least go down the way of just making it ultra-violent. It doesn't have any sense of humour. It doesn't have any sense of dread. It doesn't have any sort of complexity of, of craft within aesthetic or, or, or cinematic skill. 
It feels dull. I would still watch this over Piranha, though, because it has jaws. And, and uh, there's at least a connective tissue of this being so stupid, so ridiculous, mind-numbingly dumb, right? Mind-numbingly dumb, where there's something I can get out of this. Where if, if we're watching Jaws 1 and 2 and someone like, is there more of these? I'm like, yeah, there's a third and fourth one. They're both absolutely terrible. But the third one's set in a, in a, in a, in like, um, I don't know, like a fucking water park aquarium, something. I don't fuck knows what it is. And, um, that, that, again, like that gets bums on seats. That's like, what? Jaws in, in like a, in an aquarium. That's about as, 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 as much I can go with it. I mean, that's really all it is. And it, and it just has the moniker of Jaws anyway. It's just a shark. This could be anything. And the fact that it has Jaws on the title is a sure as shit um, idea to get people in their cinema seats. Um, and I think, would it would it fare better as being like a B-movie, something called something else, and being completely away from the franchise? I think it would probably prosper more, because it would have a notoriety there, being a cult status of this film where there's a shark, you know, in this, in this aquarium. I think that has more longevity. And also, as well, you know, you can have something like Orca, then you can stand on your own two feet, you can have Piranha, or you can have the basics of... Of, of homaging the definitive shark feature, but you can also have the uh, the idea and the moral output um, of creating something unique. But looking back on this, it, it it's like it's just abysmal. It's just woefully done. Um, I, I would say that Piranha Two is better than this as well. What we spoke about last week, I think at least Piranha Two um, is 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 better executed cinematically, whereas this is just so boring. Like everything, every shot just feels. So then, like, again, you get, like, the 3D-isms, and they're just, like, you've got to, like, get a pair of 3D glasses, and the 3D is, like, the old stereophonic stuff where it's green and red. Oh, and it's just, like, oh, blue and red, whatever it is. I might be colorblind. And I'm watching it, I'm just thinking, whoo, this is, um, this has really aged. You know, there's just, everything about this feels like it was made in, in, in the, in the present of thinking, right, let's get the, let's get the book, let's get the coin, let's make a killing here. And let's not think. Th th let's just forget about what this actually does to a franchise that was born out of a of a genius director working on on pure impulse and uh, an infliction of, of 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 wanting to create cinema. Where this feels like no one realised what this could have done to the franchise and ultimately what it did. Whereas it just burnt it to a to a ground. I mean, the the, the, the again shooting in three D in the moment it it, it prospers. As a legacy piece, it it just doesn't do anything for anyone, you know. There's 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 silly moments in here where it, it's it's acute to having needed that three D um, ability to sort of watch it, and you know, it, it ultimately ages it in an instance. It, it it ages it to a point where it can never evolve. But but enough about Jaws three D or Jaws three, whatever you you guys are calling it. I mean, it's just abysmal. Um, but yeah, that's as far as I can go with it. Perhaps. You know, maybe one day I'll look back on it fondly and just take it as, as as easy as it is. But after how sort of pleasing the second film was to me after so long, um, as a character studder, uh, this is abysmal. And watching Dennis Quaid is, is slightly uneasy as well. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. But that's my thoughts on Jaws 3 or Jaws 3D. Right, Jacob, that's the thoughts on Jaws 3D. I'm going to do Jaws Revenge for you now. So here it is. Everybody can agree, and I'm ho I'm hopefully there's no sort of Jaws the Revenge apologist out there. 
This is the nail in the coffin. If it was going to get bad after Jaws 3D, I, I don't think it could have got this bad. And and what, what sort of haunts me more about this film is that, and I'm going to say it, somewhere in this film, there is a really good picture in terms of they brought back the, the Ellen Brody character, Lorraine Brody, sorry, not Ellen, Ellen Ripley there. They bring back the Lorraine Brody character. There is a connective tissue to the first two films to the Brody family. They make an emotional pull already as as, as Chief Brody has died. He's died of a heart attack. And they imply that the stress of that, that um, shark ever coming back or a shark attack ever happening ultimately causes early demise, which I think... Um, people will get pissed off about that, um, fans. And I can appreciate that as well because ultimately Roy Schneider is just as, mu uh, just as much as Jaws is to Spielberg or Richard Dreyfuss or to, or to Richard, uh, sorry, Robert Shaw. Like, there is just definitely a connective tissue there. But it also brings sort of a homage back to the second film where, again, as I, I spoke about, which feels like uh, to probably people now th three or four hours ago, is that there's that character study of Brody losing it. And, 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 and judging himself and questioning his, his ability to sort of govern and questioning his ability to know that if he's purely going off impulse or anxiety or being level-headed. And that, that little tiny... Th and get, I am I'm completely agreeing I'm reading into that. I don't think it really is the film's output. But I sort of put that back and think, actually, we have fair play. There's a little bit connected tissue there. Okay, I'm on board. And then it does like the Terminator dark, uh, dark Fate thing where it kills off a major sort of character that the film could have explored something with. And if you're ever going to do that with a character such as uh, one of the Brody sons, um, you have to have a really good excuse to do that. There has to be a fallout for the audience then to get on board and understand the plight of it. And you can't just use it as a, as a set piece. It needs to be sort of a momentous, rolling... Um, atmospheric tone throughout the film and this this film does try to achieve that uh it's it's so violently bloody it feels weirdly out of place at the beginning um but i can again i can go with that and you know lorraine brody she, she's she's had a, a husband taken away from her because of the shark and then like she's had a son taken away and then her other son comes back and he's 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 now in like a marine biologist pilot thing which i think is like the one thing you wouldn't ever want to do if your dad ever told you those stories. And even if you got knocked out in the second film, you'd still probably realise, I just don't want to go to, get to this water ever again. And I think there's, there's an idea there where they could have played with this family having to face their fears as a, as a whole. And it's there, but it's not ever explored to a degree where I think it's compelling enough. Um, but the, 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 the character of Lorraine Brady gets a lot here. Why she's having dreams about this shark and like, where, like well, she's having dreams, but like, it's it's actually happening in the present. It's always a strange thing, and the fact that the shark follows them to the Bahamas or wherever they are from from Amity Island was like what? Like like surely like why would it follow her there? Like how would it know it they were there? There's just narrative issues here where you don't get from A to B. It just simply you can't fucking be that stupid to accept that. And I I don't I don't mean that cruelly. I just mean like again with like the third film. You have to have absolutely no brain cells for the third film. Like this one, you have to have a fucking. You, you, you have to flatline. You, ca you can't be genuinely living to accept that as a plausibility. And granted, we're talking about a shark that's been affecting this family for, for, for decades. Like, 
right? So like, what is it? Smells? It tastes his blood and it wants more of it. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand all the science. I don't understand what 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 the whole plot narrative is there. But as soon as that comes up, I'm just so done. I'm just thinking like, how 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 did these writers expect me to sort of take that stupid narrative as as as, as what we're actually doing here? Like, I'm out there. I'm out. I've left the fucking building. Right, I'm Elvis Presley. I'm gone. There's no. I'm not there. I'm not gonna watch any more of it. I'm. I'm. I'm done. You could have fucking ET turn up at this point, and and I'm. I will never be the wiser. I am so checked out. It, I. I. I just. I cannot deal with it. It's so ludicrous. But we'll get there because there's something that just tips the iceberg on that. So we get like the Michael Caine thing, and Michael Caine is constantly pissed. And then you find out behind the scenes that the Michael Caine's character was actually meant to be gay and the film cut all that out, which for me would at least give that character some substance. Uh, and and it, it's... it's what, what actually shocks me the most is that it's cut out to such a degree you would never know it. There's no implication in the film, which to me sort of implies that... Hang on a second, like... That, that that's not just sort of like small bits for for time. <laughs> no one's cut that out because you know we were four hours long in a rough cut. Someone's cut that out because they didn't find it appropriate that a character was gay in one of these pictures, which again turns turns it a little bit. I don't know if that's true. I think I thought I read that. If I haven't read that, I apologise. Jacob will probably say I've had a drink. I am driving. I don't do the same two things at once. Jacob, if that's not a problem, you can cut that out. But um, but yeah, we get Michael Caine. He's obviously just done this for the money because he had that period in the 80s where he just did anything. He was getting a bag for it. But I always like the setting. I like that sort of tropical island thing. I like that we're watching a family try and get back on their feet after this horrifying thing that's happened to them. I always think that's really interesting. It's the main, main gripe of watching the second film where I love that exploration. Because in the first film, you're watching them try and survive the shark. The second one is they're trying to sort of Again, like, survive it, but cope with it. And the third one... But the fourth one, this is about coping with the loss. And then you have that idea of revenge, and the shark turns up, and it's just stupid. But the fact of the matter is, is that, like... Again, it, it's woefully short. There's there's just nothing here that's abstract. Cinematically, it's just it's just a bit of a dud. It's like the second... It's like, excuse me, it's like the third film. Um, it really doesn't have any lifeblood. Which is shocking, because, you know, these films so detract from each other... It's a surprise that the sort of no one was allowed to just come in and do what they wanted with it in terms of let's do something stylish here. And if stylish is in terms of like having it in three D, you know, I mean, if if that's sort of someone's aesthetic or style, then it's not really something that has longevity either. You know, it needs to have someone. You know, I I don't want fucking Andy Warhol to direct it or anything, but it just feels like they're just so stubborn in the idea of right. We've got the same formula. Why don't we just make something visually more abstract? Um, and may, may, maybe on on reflection, maybe the third one does have that incorporated. But there's choices in that film where, again, as I mentioned before, has no longevity, whereas this has a connection with the first and second film. And it, and it has that with for it. And again, like I said about the, the, the opening, it needs to have a massive momentum, a massive impact. And when it, the film comes full circle and we get... Um, Lorraine Broder, um, on the on the boat at the end, and the fucking shark, like it 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 doesn't it like roar or bite a bark bite does it bite because it bites it's, it's it's a great white shark or whatever it is but it roars, and again like you I, I'm back like I'm back I'm like what 
I've, I, I was out when the shark was following it to the Bahamas. I was out. But all of a sudden, I've heard this noise, and I'm like a sleeper agent. I've heard my code name. I'm in. What? Has that just roared? Has that shark literally just roared like a tiger? Yes, yes, it did. And you know what? I'm out again. Like, that's it. Like, if you want to get me up or out of bed or, or, or I'm, 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 I'm disassociating myself, I hear that roar in this film, I'm at what? And then I'm back out. It's like, it's the most strangest, stupidest thing going. It's so stupid and unbelievably dumb. And it's just, it gives the impression, like, it's funner and we can all laugh about it. But in all seriousness, the person who put that in does not give a fuck about what this film is about. They do not care about how that can affect the uh, people watching this film. Granted, if you've seen the third one and they were making this, and you were thinking, I don't, I don't sort of, um, um, I, I, I don't mind the fact that if they were in production, they thought, what have we done? What have we done? And someone thought, you know what? Just throw it all in. Throw it all in. You know, it's it's chasing to Bahamas. How's that happened? We don't know. It barks. It bites. Whatever. It roars. Yeah, throw it in. Like, it just people gave up. And it's so disheartening to see that where this, this foundation was built, that it ended here. Someone was behind the camera where they didn't have any inclination to have any um, input. That nobody wanted to come back for it. They had to give bags of money away to get people back. It was so dead in the water that people just threw it away. And it's always heartbreaking to see that when in a franchise. I've just of such magnitude of Jaws that we got to Jaws the Revenge at this point. Like, what? It's so disheartening watching this, not n knowing just of how bad this film is, but the fact that they just gave up. It's heartbreaking. You know, and people say it's just a film. It is just a film. But but th th these films, are, uh, the, 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 the house that built it, Jaws, is an icon of cinema status. It will be here f longer than we will be alive. It will have longevity. It is a moment in cinematic history. And these films are connected to it. I mean, you can ignore it all you want. These films are connected to it. And it's abysmal. People gave up. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to watch. I mean, the film itself is heartbreaking to watch because it's absolutely atrocious. But then you, you read the production history and they had no idea. And then you read like five years, like five years ago, ten years ago, like Kevin Smith came out. Like they wanted Kevin Smith to write a fucking show, uh, Jaws 5. What? What? What is going on in Hollywood? Seriously, Kevin Smith to make a Jaws 5? I mean, what? Surely these people, right, are, are granted for what's come out of Hollywood in the last 12, 20, 30 years, um, sort of appropriates what was going on there. But people just don't give a fuck. Jaws 5, written and directed by Kevin Smith. What? And shark films never recovered from this either. I mean, granted, because because like the animal itself became a target of like of of, of cinematic law, where they were, you know, there's this horrible creature. When really they're quite docile animals, as long as you don't fucking you know go up to it and try and give it a kiss, you know. And um, it killed it killed shark films. It ultimately this franchise became the definitive and destroyer in the space of what fifteen years. You know, like, it's it's heartbreaking to think about that. But, you know, Jaws the Revenge. Like, who was the revenge at? Like, the the, the the audience? Because we 
they paid to watch it. You know, it's frightening what these these people are thinking about. But, you know, it roars, it barks, whatever it does. It's just stupid. But, you know, Michael Caine's constantly pissed her out. And I feel like that's the way you can only watch it. Have a big bottle of Captain Morgan or some, some <laughs> Jamaican rum and just deal with it because it's atrociously bad. And that's as far as I can go with Jaws Revenge because if I think about it anymore, then, then I feel like it's got me. I don't want this film to have me, you know? But yeah, it's it's a it's atrocious and it's, it's giving me nightmares. Right, Jacob, that's it. I'm glad I'm on the episode. You can find me at my username at Jack Luke Sharp on uh, Twitter uh, and Letterbox. I've hated talking about Jaws of Revenge. I didn't like talking about Jaws three, but Jaws two was a welcome surprise. And um, having to go back and watch that in a different eye. Um, I find it really interesting, was worthy of this podcast. So thank you very much for having me on board. I hope everyone enjoys the films. I'm sorry I couldn't be there. I'm currently stuck in a, in a traffic jam, uh, and I've currently had to park up next to a Greg's on, on a lay-by lane to record this for you wonderful people out there. Like and subscribe. Bye-bye.